This podcast is a member of the Place to Be Nation family. Visit us at placetobenation.com, the only place to be in your pop culture world. All right, it's another year. It's another top 10. Greg Dieter, Robert Silver on the other side. This is the annual top 10 list of the Place to Be Nation's greatest list of all time. And this year, well, last year, because this year it's going to be the anniversary of the redo of the greatest WWE wrestler list. But the one we did last year that we're covering on this series is the greatest WCW wrestler ever series. And Robert, this is going to be a fun look back. It's going to be a fun look back, Greg, but I'm, I, I've got, I've got issues with the listeners, man. Oh, and don't take this the wrong way. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're listening to this program, you're a huge wrestling fan and a fan of, of historical wrestling, old school mm-hmm. wrestling, like yes. we all are. Place to be nation puts out great fucking content. And I love these polls. But you guys have to step up. The numbers have been dwindling. There was at one time, it was over 50 people that voted. There's more than 50 listeners to the shows that Jen does, that Greg does, that the pod father Scott does. But why are only 24 people voting? If you knew the entire year that they had this ballot out. And how only a pimple on the ass of the listeners that listen to these programs voted. I, I, I'm disappointed in y'all. Mm-hmm. I vote every year. Greg votes every year. Uh, and not a knock at the other hosts, but there are a lot of hosts on this feed. I'm not even not. I'm, I'm knocking the listeners. I'm going to knock the host too. They don't vote. I've heard shows were like, oh, I didn't get my ballot in a time. How? You had you knew a whole year. Please, people, vote. 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 I don't give a goddamn about Bush or, or, or Cheney or, or, or Biden. I don't care if you don't vote for them. Vote for this, please. And that, that's my two cents. <laughs> I'd make a commentary on how sad it is with American <laughs> democracy right now. But this is not that type of podcast. So. Man. No, I'm disappointed only 24 people voted. Um, yeah. This is a fun thing to do. It's a fun thing to to to, to uh, you go back and you watch these guys. If if you people have their own personal favorites, and you you pick it. Um, uh, I commend the twenty four people, including us two, that did vote because they took their time. And I didn't see any. And the entire list is available on the Place to Be Nation website. The, the entire list of all the votes and who got the highest vote and so forth. The 24 people that did vote did a great job voting. I didn't see any crazy, crazy listings this year. So kudos to everybody who did vote. Yes. Well, uh, well, we got to get started. Um, <laughs> so I think ours this year pretty much match, mm-hmm. particularly around like one to three. Um, There's some like people that are included in yours and my top 10. They're not in each other, but I think we're pretty much in sync with most of it. Before we go to ours, 
place to be nation voters had Rey Mysterio at number 10. And you know what? I I, I can't argue with that. Rey Mysterio no. was tremendous in his five years in, from 90. No, actually six years. He started in 95, right? 90, he came in late 95. So 95 to, two, to, to when the promotion ended in 2001. He regularly, Greg, and you, you, you could attest because you were a fan at the time, would have the best matches on, on pay-per-view. I mean, his match against Eddie Guerrero, what was it, Halloween Havoc 97? Yeah. One of the greatest matches of all time. Yeah, and, like, there's a T-shirt of that match on homage of the uh, Ray Eddie match from Halloween Havoc. It's, like, so iconic. It's, like, one of the greatest matches of all time. And even when they took his mask off, he still had great matches. Oh, he was... <laughs> He was still over her. Oh, the best thing Vince ever did was put the mask back on him. When oh, he yeah. <laughs> Dear, that was like the one great thing. I mean, who cares if it's not proper Lucha tradition? Like, in this case, that's the best retcon you could ever do. Yeah, because he, he looked like a 16-year-old kid that was balding. Yeah. <laughs> oh, my God. So... Raises num- their number 10. My number 10, and I'll go directly into it, Cactus Jack. Cactus Jack had, what, uh, Greg, two stints with WCW? Yeah. Right? He came in late 1989, right, straight straight from um, the USWA. He had spent time in the USWA and the Continental. Came in late 1989, and he was... Off the top, a job to the stars. Yes. But Kevin Sullivan saw something in him and started giving him a storyline where he was this renegade uh, jobber. And then Kevin Sullivan brought him under his wing and put him in the slaughterhouse that unfortunately died when um, Buzz Sawyer broke his wrist coming off the top rope on, on his patented uh, splash off the top rope. And then when Ole Anderson took over, he got rid of both Kevin Sullivan and Cactus Jack like May, June of 90. And Cactus Jack had a great run on the independence. You know about his trilogy with Eddie Gilbert, those great death matches he had with Eddie Gilbert. And then he came back to WCW fall of 91, right? Where um, him and Abdullah the Butcher were hired guns to go after Sting. Remember that great match he had with Sting? Was that on a WCW Saturday night? Where- uh where he took that crazy bump to the concrete floor when when he missed the elbow smash, they yeah. got out the way. <laughs> yeah, they had a match. They had a match at a Beach Blast '92, I believe. Yeah, but I'm talking about before that. They had oh, a yeah. match on TV, and then yeah, the, I never understood why Cactus Jack had two main events on pay per view against the World Heavyweight Champion. First, Beach Blast '92 against Sting, which was an incredible match. Oh, great! One of Sting's best matches. Of his career, and it's it's crazy the, the the career Cactus Jack had, right? He and by the way, by the time this is released, I will have on my Legends of Music and Sports podcast an entire episode dedicated to the career of Cactus Jack Mick Foley. So you could check that out after listening to this, because by the time this is released, that show would have already been released. But back to a Cactus Jack. He had two main event pay-per-views against the World Heavyweight Champion. Sting Beach Blast 92 and Halloween Havoc 93 against Vader. 
They were both non-title matches. Why? Greg, explain that to me. I hated that. I I have no idea. Maybe they didn't want an ugly WCW champion. I don't know. I don't be. And we, we talked about that on the greatest WCW matches of all time last year when we talked about the Vader Cactus Jack match. And we couldn't understand why it was a Texas death match non title fight. I don't understand that. It didn't make any goddamn sense. No. How do you have the world heavyweight champion main eventing and not defending the title? Same thing with Sting and Beach Blast. And then, of course. We talked about those great tag team matches he had against the uh, was it against the Nasty Boys? Nasty Boys, yeah. yeah first with uh, Max hell? Payne, Ma- Max Payne, and then with Kevin Sullivan. Well, two of the greatest matches in WCW history. We talked about those on the WCW greatest matches of all time. Cactus, the series he had with Vader before he took a sabbatical. And then came back to few to have the Texas Test match. He had back-to-back matches on WCW Saturday Night, where he took insane bumps. He allowed Vader to power bomb him on the concrete floor, and his the the back of his neck bounced off the concrete floor. Oh, that was that was sick. That was sick. That was uh May or June of 1993. Of course, we remember early '94 when his ear got cut off by Vader. Uh. In Germany, well, right, it was in Germany, right? Yeah, it was an overseas tour, yeah. Uh, and um, man, Cactus Jack put it on the line, and how did he get rewarded? By Eric Bischoff firing him. Uh, uh what was it? Late, uh, uh, early, was late fall, summer, early fall of '94. Fall, fall brawl was his last. Uh, okay, show. so. So fall of 94, he got fired. He didn't deserve to get fired. No. I didn't understand that. It didn't make no goddamn sense to me. And so he goes on to greener pastures. That's my number 10. Well, thank heavens, because, you know, the next week after he got fired, after he had his last match, he was on that uh, UWF Blackjack Brawl <laughs> pay-per-view <laughs> yes. against Snooker. Oh, man. The dark side of the ring where he talks about, Cactus talks about how Herb Abrams said, wait till you see this. And he presents him like yellow cowboy boots with UWF on them. Like, this is going to blow everyone's minds. Sure, Herb. Yeah. How many people attended that match? That that card? Like a (laughs) hundred. And 50 were comped. <laughs> I've been at cruise ship bingo games that had a larger crowd than that. Unbelievable. All right, Greg, on to your number 10, baby. Uh, all right, my number 10, Diamond Dallas Page. And I've got to tell you, this is somebody who was a late bloomer into this business. Just unbelievable how, like, because it's insane, because when did... When did DDP start wrestling? Like at over the age of 30, right? Uh, way over the age of 30, because wasn't he in his 40s when he got his huge push? Uh, yeah. Right. He was at, was it 41, 42 when he got yeah. that, when he started that feud with Savage? Might have been older. But yeah, so, and he had only been wrestling a few years. When did he start the power plant? 92, 93? Uh, well, because he, he was a manager at first. He was a manager in AWA, yeah. He was managing WCW in 91, I know that, because he was managing uh, Scott Hall. Um, 
probably would have started regular wrestling around 92, 93, yeah. Yeah, so he had a late start, and you cannot tell me that from 96 to 2001, he wasn't top five WCW. Oh, yeah. He definitely work, was. Work rate. He was over. The fans were into him. Remember, uh, Greg, at during the uh, the height of the NWO WCW feud in late 1996? Basically, yeah. it was the NWO versus Sting, Piper, and DDP. That's it. Nobody else batted. No. That was it. Because everybody, they, they buried the Steiners. They buried Luger. But they always kept Sting, DDP, and Piper over. And whenever DDP would be outnumbered, Sting would come down the rafters. It, it was like DDP was the only guy the Crow Sting trusted. Like, 96. I loved it. And then, Greg, talk about his series with, with the Macho Man in 97. Oh, his his series with Macho Man, I think, insane. Some great brawls. In and outside the ring, and really, I the moment I think it might have been in DDP's DVD set that WWE put out when uh I think it's like Orn goes up to like or somebody an agent or somebody goes up to Savage and about the finish of the match uh, with DDP and it's like what do you want to do and Savage says I think I'm going to be taking the diamond cutter tonight yeah, and then the yeah. and then the agent says to Page. You know what this means for your career, right? Yep. Uh, one of my most memorable DDP matches on Nitro was, was it, I believe it was August, it was either July or August of 1997. You'll probably remember this, Greg. Randy Savage was supposed to wrestle La Parker. And oh, I'm yes. watching this, I'm watching this match, Greg. And I'm like, the fuck, La Parker grew six inches overnight? Because <laughs> DDP six foot five. La Parker, I don't even think it's six feet tall, right? And I'm like, God damn, he, La Parker, what the fuck is he? He, he looks big tonight. And DDP had me fucking fooled because he actually fought like La Parker with the little strut and everything. And then he took the mask off and gave Macho Man the diamond cutter. As the Macho Man puts La Parker down with a scoop slam, here goes Randy Savage to the top. La Parker unconscious, Savage heads to the top rope. La Parker is unconscious, and Zabisco has dropped his headset. Oh, La Parker got the feet up. Larry, please settle down here. I need to focus what's going on the right. Did you see that? There. Incredible. Tyrita pop. Greg, remember that? Yes, that was great. (laughs) 
it's funny you mentioned La Parca because I was on a trip last week to Mexico and I bought a La Parca mask at one of the shops. Talk about dropping the ball on talent. Oh. WCW dropped the ball on La Parca. Oh, La Parca was over. La Parca always popped the crowd oh. and they buried him. They tried. They couldn't bury him, though. The fans loved him. He, they, he was never, the, they never gave a push. No, he was the chairman of WCW. <laughs> I mean, the, every time he came out to the ring with the chair, he you he do the air guitar on the chair. The fans went nuts. The fans were begging Bischoff and Sullivan to push Parker. And then what did they do? Russo gives him a quasi push, having him head of his uh, like his bodyguard or some shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and he's <laughs> they have him badly dubbed, and it's just oh that was man. The- Funniest and stupidest shit I ever but saw in my life. That was such a great angle when he take the mask off. That was great. I loved it. And, of course, his feud with Savage. Then had his title run. Probably the greatest match of Goldberg's career. Uh, what oh, was it? Halloween Havoc 98? Uh, oh, oh, Halloween Havoc 98, yeah. Because I think I... I think I put it on my list last year. Uh, yeah, you did. Uh, yes. That was, that was kind of like... Ironically, it's funny. This was like WCW's equivalent of Hogan Warrior at Mania Six. <laughs> well, you know what? Goldberg had Goldberg's two best matches, in my opinion, were both on Halloween Havoc. Halloween Havoc '98 versus uh, DDP, and Halloween Havoc '99 versus Sid in an incredible brawl. Uh, give kudos to Sid. Sid so did like Sid was bleeding. Remember that match? Uh, uh, Greg, Sid was bleeding buckets, and he put Goldberg over strong. That was easily the best match of Sid's career. <laughs> I always thought Sid was very underrated. I love Sid. I love oh. Sid. I fucking love Sid. The other day, I was watching a promo <laughs> where Sid was cutting on Hogan, where he goes, there's two kind of bees in this world, Hogan. There's the bees that make honey. And then there's you, fatso! I used to be! I love that shit, man. I love Sid. Oh, and I, I'm disappointed that he didn't go in the Hall of Fame like they, like like they like the rumor was. God damn it. Maybe one year when it's in Nashville. Hopefully. I don't know. <laughs> well, wait. SummerSlam this year is in Nashville, right? Oh, next year is in Hollywood, so it won't happen. Oh, yeah, well, no. I meant SummerSlam's in Nashville. Maybe that'll yeah. be like... Maybe they'll... Put him in as like an early announcement. I don't know. <laughs> I can only dream. Uh, the place to be nation's number nine is Tully Blanchard. And we'll go into it because uh, one of us has Tully. Do you have Tully in your top ten? No, I did not. All right. Let me see what my number nine is. Well, your number nine is my number eight. So we can All right. So uh, so my number nine is your number eight. Arn Anderson. All right, so let's just talk about it now. Arn Anderson, my number nine. Arn Anderson. Greg, how many guys in the history of wrestling were more believable than Arn Anderson? Not many. Not many. Not many. He looked like he can kick your ass. He talked like he could kick your ass. He wrestled like he could kick your ass. He he checked all the boxes. He wasn't a good-looking dude. He looked like your everyday tough guy. If you meet him in a brawl, you're running the other way, even if he couldn't fight. His persona was he was a tough son of a bitch, and his promos 
man, uh, God, Lord, he, he didn't have to yell. He'd get up there and he'd just tell you what he was going to do to you. Greg, talk about his promo style and why he had that great persona and why he was able to carry it off so authentically. Well, the way Arn would talk, it would be like so believable. He just, I don't know how you describe it. It's like he would explain what the situation is and just, he just, like, when he spoke, it was like, I'm going to go in the ring. I'm going to beat you, kick you like a dog. And that's the way it's going to be. And he talked in this, like, very soft-spoken but plain voice. Didn't have to yell. Didn't have to scream. He'd just tell you how it was going to go. And it'd be like, yeah. And when he got into the ring, that's exactly how he would operate. First of all, we are proud to represent the NWA. We're proud, second of all, maybe even first of all, to represent your company. I'm talking Jim Crockett Promotions. By being the world tag team champions at various states, very easily, we are the best at what we do. You didn't hear any music. You didn't see any face paint. You don't see any glitter. What you see is plain boots and plain tots. And what you also saw was plain wrestling, which is on the marquee. These days, our business gets glamorized by different aspects and different people. There's some of them like to call it showbiz. A lot of people like to think they're stars. I'm telling myself, Ric Flair, James J. Dillon, know that stars are in the sky and stars are in Hollywood. What we are as professional athletes. And every time we come to a building, you gotta know, your brothers gotta know, those people that have watched us for a lot of years gotta know. That's the reason they keep coming back. And last but not least, we gotta know that whether we're sick, whether we're hurting a little bit, whether we got problems at home, or we had problems making our plane, that we give you 110% because that's what you pay for. And regardless of what you think, Luger, these people that buy these tickets don't pay our salary. His brother and he does, and they pay us real well because we're worth every nickel. Now, when you look in these eyes and you look at that match that just takes place, you see a little Anderson fire coming back because that's my roots. I was learned it. I was taught the old way. It is take a body part and render it useless. And my friend, a three-legged table is worth nothing to anybody. So in the Crockett Cup, that 20-inch arm of yours, Luger, can be just as useless as the one we just showed you. We are the best. We are the horsemen. It was so tragic how his career ended so he was still a young man. I don't even think he was 40 when he retired. People forget. Arn Anderson, when he was born, was 40 years old. Okay, so, I mean, in, in the height of his career in the 1980s, he was in his 20s. That's nuts. Yeah, he was in his 20s. He was, I think he was younger than um, Lex Luger and Sting. Oh, God. And yet, at, yet he had that balding look, and he looked like he was in his mid-40s, even when he was 25. He might have been late 30s when he was forced to retire in 1997. And then the ultimate insult, the NWO comes out, makes fun of his drinking and his dis disability. I don't know who checked off on that. I don't know who allowed that to happen. But what do you think, Greg? To me, that was one of the most distasteful angles and promos i've ever seen my entire lifetime watching wrestling yeah i know it was distasteful but i i gotta be honest i'm gonna be quite honest i died laughing watching it because <laughs> i i don't care what it is kevin nash will make anything funny
Now I heard. Did you hear that that uh that wrestlers backstage had to uh stop Arn and Flair and Benoit from jumping? Oh, I and, 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 I believe and McMichael, it. McMichael from coming in, they had to hold them back backstage. Do you believe? Did you hear that? Yeah, I heard that. I be, I believe it, especially Mongo. Yeah, Mongo will fight, and I think Flair. Even though Flair, despite what's happened in the last few years, deep down inside, Flair is a nice guy. But yeah. I think that being his best friend, he was willing to go out there and get his ass kicked. <laughs> oh, because that's what would have happened with Flair. He would got his ass. Kicked. Well, at that point, Rick didn't. Care. I'm sure at this point with Bischoff and everything, he was like, "Yeah, I, I don't care. I'm just gonna freaking." Oh, and speaking of of the Bischoff thing, when Flair cut that incredible promo in September of '98. Oh yeah. By the way, the last time WCW won the ratings war um, on Monday night, when they reintroduced the the Horseman, Art Anderson started off perfectly with his his promo, setting up Flair, and that would be throughout Art Anderson's entire career, where he would set up Flair with his first with his incredible promo, and then Flair would go ahead and finish it off. That was great. Even when uh when he turned on Dustin Rhodes and Dusty oh, came out the, the following oh, week, oh and yes, cut, and cut that and talk about, oh dad, this has always been a follower. He's always <laughs> a walk behind her, and when you're yeah, a walk behind her, the view never changes. The view never changes. <laughs> but AEW dropped the ball with Cody and Arn Anderson oh, because of yeah. their because of their history. And Tony Khan always talks about he he looks at wrestling history. Well, they dropped the ball here because Arn turned on Dusty. Arn turned on Dustin. They could have had Arn turn on Cody. They never got there. Yeah, that would have been it would have made and you could have had Arn cut a promo. You could have had I turned on Dusty. Yeah. I turned on Dustin. And now I turned on you. That would have been great. You talk about Recall it, re- taking a, a glimpse at, at wrestling history, but Arn was great all the time. The only thing I didn't like, and I understood he was taking orders from Oli, but in 1990, that whole racist uh, storyline with the junkyard dog and Rocky King, mm-hmm. Arn Anderson said some very, very bad things, and I know because you ever heard, listen to Arn Anderson's podcast. Oh yeah, I, I, he's a real nice guy. Oh yeah, you, I, you could you you could tell that he didn't want to do that, but yeah, he was authentic when he did it though. <laughs> That's my second favorite of the Conrad family of shows behind the one with Tony. Oh, the, 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 Tony and Arn, such nice people. But Arn, I mean, what else can you say about Arn Anderson, Greg, in the ring? Great worker, his tag team with Tully Blanchett. We talked about it because I had uh, Tully. You know, they never did. We never did a WCW stretch project with tag teams, huh? No. But in WWE, they were in my top ten, uh, uh, Arn and Tully. But Arn and Tully in WCW were an incredible tag team. Arn yeah. and Oli were an incredible tag team. Arn and Bobby Eaton were an incredible tag team. Arn and Larry Sabisco. Oh, Arn could I, do it all. I love the Arn and Larry tag team. The Enforcers. Yeah. <laughs> no, well, they're not the Enforcers. They, they, the for, they were in the Enforcers, yeah. Okay, all right. The, the, uh, uh, yeah, because uh, the, 
they they were they were a great tag team because they were more traditionally like the Andersons. Like yes. only and on, like only and Gene, where they work on body parts because you know Sabisco had the rest the college wrestling background and Bruno taught him how to wrestle. So they were and then Arn and Bobby, they were twofold, both great workers, two of the greatest, if not the greatest tag team wrestlers of all time, and best friends in real life. That was great. Uh yeah. Well Bobby Eaton, like any tag team is gonna be great. <laughs> I mean, God, God rest Bobby's soul. I mean, we just I, we lost him last year, and yeah, uh, yeah. man, he, we, a special talent. Every tag team he was in, Bobby and Stan Lane, Bobby and Dennis Condry, Bobby and Arn Anderson, uh, Bobby even with the Royal Family with, the, with Regal. Oh, Regal. him and Regal were like my favorite ever, <laughs> especially the angle where he became a royal. <laughs> What was his name in the team? Oh, he was the Earl of Eaton, I believe. Yeah, the Earl of Eaton. <laughs> the Earl of Eaton. Oh, man. Oh, man. Yeah, just uh, Art Anderson, what else could say? The consummate professional. You want to build a promotion, right? You got to have an Art Anderson in your promotion for it to be legit. And John Cena swears by him. John Cena always says. That he wouldn't have been the wrestler he would became if it wasn't for Arn because Arn was the only guy that was the agent for his matches. It was Arn. He went over the matches with Arn. Nobody else, not even Vince or Pat Patterson or whoever was around at the time, the writers. No, John Cena worked it out with Arn on what was going to happen in his matches. And it show you Arn, jack of all trades. Master of many. Yeah, and a, a legend. I just, what more needs to be said about Arn? I mean, <laughs> maybe one of the great in-ring technicians of all time. Just a master of psychology. Could tell you a great story in the ring and with a promo. Just magnificent. He checks all the boxes. I, I hope I didn't lose the website. I'm trying to see no. what the num- number eight for a place to be nation is. Mm-hmm. Let's see. Let's see. I'm curious as to who number eight is. I can't disagree with uh, Ray and Tully so far. Oh, no. So far, so great. I mean, yeah. like I said before, the writers, the, the voters, rather, not the writers, the voters have done a great job. Their number eight is. Oh, right in line to. Oh, Barry Windham. Wow. <laughs> Look at that. Perfect well, timing. <laughs> Barry Windham. Windham. Wyndham is your number nine, and he's your number six. So well, let's just get we can get Barry out of the way right let's now. Get Barry, let, let's get Barry out of the way. You start with Barry. Yeah. So Barry would have uh, gotten his start in uh, Florida. Yeah. So yeah. So he would have been working for Dusty, and he was he was one of Dusty's boys, and um, he had a, a stint in uh, WWF, obviously with uh, Rotunda. Before you get there. In 1984, he oh. left Florida with Dusty to go to Crockett, Mid-Atlantic. Cause and Dusty, they, yeah, and they, and he, he was, was going to be the guy, right? He was going to be the guy, but then Vince offered him a truckload of money, and I don't blame Barry. People rip on Barry, talk about, oh, he turned on Dusty. Crockett wasn't paying him anywhere near what Vince was going to no. pay him 
to be the number one tag team in the WWF. And people forget, Wyndham and Rotundo was super over in 1985. Yeah, you watch WrestleMania 1. They are over. They are super over in that. The only act that got a bigger pop was Mr. T and Hogan that night. All right? And the fans went apeshit when they lost to the Iron Sheik and Nikolai Volkov. All right? And then... They get the real American song. That originally was their song, When the yes. Asunder. And a couple of weeks after they got the song, <laughs> When the disappeared, went back to Florida. I don't understand it. There's something had to have happened. And then Dusty finally brought him back in late 86, right around the time that Magnum TA got injured. Now, this is crazy. Talk about things coming full circle. Magnum took his spot in 84. And then when Magnum gets injured, Wyndham takes his spot two years later. Yes. Wow. Incredible. And then Barry had those great matches in 1987 with Flair, including the match at the Crockett Cup. That was an incredible match. And the one-hour draw on the uh, Worldwide. Which was the better match. Right. Yes. Right. Dusty went off on the best Dusty ever commentated. Dusty was going off. Come on. Come on. Uh, what What they used to call Barry? He used to call him. Uh, he, he called him something. He had a nickname for Barry Windham that he was saying throughout the telecast. Then he had a nice tag team with Ron Garvin, and they had a nice feud with the Midnights. And then he had teams with Luger, and they have that uh, clash match with uh, Arden Tully at the first. That's clash. a great match. Great match. Great great match. And then talk about the turn. Oh, yeah. So the seduction of evil. <laughs> Descends on Barry Windham as he turns on Lex Luger in a tag team match in the rematch with Arnon Tully. And thanks to his turn, Arnon Tully win the tag team titles and Barry joins the Four Horsemen and takes Lex's spot in the Four Horsemen. Because remember, Lex had turned babyface right, and left the right. Horsemen and they never right. filled the spot. Right. Until they got Barry on that turn and then. For the next year, you could make an argument that he's the best heel in the business. From oh, he is. The moment he turns to when he leaves Crockett, not, not, well, now Turner, when he leaves WCW a year later, but from April of 1988 till March of 1989 when he leaves uh, WCW, he is just phenomenal. Even Barry was never known as a promo guy. He became an instant great promo. He was he put the black glove on. He started to look more and more like his father. It was like his father. Yeah, he became the spitting image of Blackjack Mulligan. Except he could work because Blackjack was just yeah. a puncher kicker. Oh, he yeah. was tremendous. He got great matches out of Dusty when Dusty was old and fat. His matches with Luger were tremendous. That uh, shot was it Shy Town Rumble or Shy Town Heat in February? Shy Town Rumble '89. Yes. Yeah, that was an incredible. Incredible match with Luger. Him and Flair had a great tag team match with the Midnight Express at the Clash of Champions. What was it? A season's beatings in December of 89. The match with Bigelow at Starcade was a tremendous. I love that match. I think it's crazy that most people, when they think of the Four Horsemen, think of Flair, Wyndham, Tully, and Orn. But they were only together for like five, six months. Let me see. They were together April of 88 to September of 88 because that's when uh they dropped uh Tully and Arn dropped the belts 
to the Midnights and left to go to the WWF. Right. Yeah. So, so May, June, July, August, five months. That's it. Yeah. And it's insane because when you think of the Four Horsemen, you think of that famous uh, photo of all of them with the belts. But that is the best version of the Horsemen. Without oh, it a doubt. Is. Even it for is. those five months because all four guys could talk. All four guys could work. Yes. Period. And then um, he goes to the WWF in a god-awful, god-awful oh, The Widowmaker. But I, the thing is, they were pushing him because he was beating Bret Hart all across the country in yeah. single matches. And they were going to line him up to feed him to Hogan. But his brother, Kendall, and his father, his daddy, Blackjack, got arrested and sentenced to prison. And Barry took another sabbatical from wrestling for a few months, and he would come back in the spring of 90, back to WCW, once again a member of the Horsemen, and he would, they, they didn't really push him, right? They didn't push him. No. They even had him as the fake staying at Halloween Havoc 90 against Oh, Sid. that was awful. That was horrible. Finally, early 91, he begins a push. He has that feud with Brian Pillman. The yellow dirty dog, the dirty yellow dog, <laughs> yellow dog. Oh god! That was and then so they bad. do the double turn at the Great American Bash 1991, where oh. he turned babyface after after Luger finally gets the title. Right after they fired Flair, they screaming, "We want Flair!" It's a good match, but the circumstances yeah. killed that match. Yeah, and especially like that turn comes out of nowhere where Harley comes out and yeah. just said uh, it just he says something to Luger and that triggers it like what <laughs> I don't get it so then Wyndham forms a tag team with Dustin Rhodes but uh they do an uh, angle where he gets hurt and says Steamboat takes his place Steamboat and, and Dustin win the tag team titles uh, Wyndham has great feuds with a great feud with Steve Austin and the Dangerous Alliance. Remember that great. We talked about it on the greatest match of the WCW. Yeah. The the War Games match. Wyndham worked his ass off in that match. And then uh, Wyndham and Dustin finally win the tag team titles as a tag team. And then you had that great turn when they lost the tag team titles to Steamboat and Douglas at the Clash, the November Clash of Champions of 92, where uh, Steamboat and Douglas are backstage talking about the match, and then Wyndham smashes both of them with chairs. <laughs> that was a great turn. That was so awesome. Wyndham and Pillman have a great match with Steamboat and Douglas at Star K92. Great, great match. And then Wyndham wins the NWA world title, finally gets the NWA title. Was it Re Wrestle War? Uh, no, uh, what was the. What was the what was Super the Bowl, Super, Super Bowl Super Bowl Super Bowl in ninety February ninety two Super Bowl three Super Brawl three he wins the NWA title and holds it until he loses it to Flair and then he gets injured and he's never the same no never the same he comes back a couple of years later ninety four in WCW and he looks like a bloated pip oh, yeah jeez. And then years later, he comes back to WCW, and, and he gets over with the what would they what they called him? Uh, West Texas Redneck. Oh, they were great. They were great, but he could no longer work. It no. was it was him, Kurt Henning, and Kendall uh, and Bobby Duncan Jr. Bobby Duncan Jr. Right before Bobby Duncan Jr. dies. But if you just look at from 
late 86 to early 1989, Barry Windham was one of the best, if not the best worker in the United States. And from 1988 to 1989, that one year, he was the best heel in the business. Had a great run from 91 to when he got hurt in 93 as first a babyface and then a heel. Great, great matches all across the board. If Wyndham would have stayed with WCW his entire career, he'd be battling Flair for number one. Oh, he would have, definitely. But, yeah. It happens sometimes, but... It happens, man. It happens. Okay, so that was my number nine and your number six in Place to Be Nation's number eight. So, uh, I guess we'll have to see what the Place to Be Nation number seven was. Well, hold on. Who Who's our number eight? Uh, well, your number eight is Goldberg, so we're going to wait All for right, so us. we'll talk about Goldberg right now. Oh, well, when do okay. you have Goldberg? What number do you I have? I have Goldberg at five. So All right, so we'll wait. We'll wait. We'll wait for for you for your five. All right, so uh, so and your so what was your ten, nine, and eight again? Uh, so my ten is DDP. Nine was Wyndham. Eight is Orn. So all right, so we're we're up to date then. We're up to date. Number seven, the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, for a number seven, a place to be nation. Is he on your ballot? Is he's he on. Your he's my number four. So we'll wait to get we'll to wait. him. We'll wait. Okay. So so uh, your your number seven. seven. Is Booker T. So let's uh let's talk about Booker. So Booker's not in your top ten. All right. No. Booker T was handcuffed by having one of the worst tag team partners anyone could ever have. Look, everybody talks great about Stevie Ray. No one has a bad word to say about Stevie Ray. No. But he could not work at all, man. He was he was stiff. He was just stiff, period. He, he was stiff in the ring. He had no flexibility. Meanwhile, Booker Huffman, Booker T, yeah, work his ass off. I could tell immediately from when they first debuted that he was the guy on that team. He was the guy who was going to be a star. What was his breakout? The best of seven series with Ben Wood ninety eight. Yeah, I think that that's what uh, made everyone realize, wow, he's actually very good. But before that. I loved it with him and was him and Sting oh, yes, took on it, the Road Warriors. Yes, I remember that. That was a great match. That and, was a great match. When Luca's looking in the mirror and he's like, "Get out! Why would you you put your partner?" But the best, but the best part is the lead up to that. The reason Luger doesn't want to be in the match is because it's a Chicago street fight, and Lex doesn't know what a Chicago street fight is. Meanwhile, he's Bill from Chicago. <laughs> I think the angle is he's from the north side of Chicago and the road warriors are from the south side. Yeah. Well, it is true, even to this day, that the north side of Chicago is considered upper scale and the south side of Chicago is considered the worst part of Chicago. So I guess you could you could play on that, even though Luger and the war warriors never lived in Chicago. No. Sorry to hurt you kayfabe guys, but no. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because Lex is from Buffalo. Buffalo. And the from Minnesota. Minneapolis. No way near Chicago either way. Anyway, so that match, and of course, is best of seven with Benoit. Bret Hart talked glowingly about him in his biography. Oh. Talked about he, had, he loved putting Booker over because he saw the potential in Booker T. And then finally, and this was a result of the racial discrimination suit 
that was brought on by Sonny Ono and Thunderbolt Patterson. And in a way to try and combat that, and it didn't matter. They lost the suit. They went and put the title on Booker T. What was it? Uh, Summer. Was Bash, that uh, Bash, Bash of the Beach 2000, right? Yeah, that was right after the uh, infamous Hogan Russo shoot. Yeah, and for the rest of the time, from that point until the, the end. end of the promotion, yeah, Booker he's, the T, num- he's the number one babyface. He's the number one babyface of the promotion. From that to the end, he feuded with, he had some good, excellent matches with a bloated Scott Steiner, a roided out can't move Scott Steiner. Booker T got some good matches out of him. And he ended Nitro as the WCW champion, right? He went over and, Scott that night, yeah, right? And he was the U.S. champion, too, so. Yeah, he had both belts as he was one of the few WCW superstars that went to the WWF. Booker T could have sat home and collected the rest of his huge guaranteed contract. Oh, yeah, but he was like, no, I'm, I want and to you be know part what? of it. It was the best decision he ever oh. made because he made more money in the long run. And I, I've got to be honest, his tag team with Dustin as Gold Dust when they were Booker Dust is some of my favorite stuff ever. Let me tell you something. Him getting beat up in the supermarket by Steve Austin, that, <laughs> that was classic television. Oh. But it didn't lead to nowhere. No. I they, they, they dropped that shit right after. And I was like, <sighs> and you know what? A lesser talent would have been buried, completely buried by that incident. Because Steve Austin just used him as a ragdoll. That entire fucking skit in the, the supermarket even checked him out. <laughs> Price check on Jackass. Anybody else that wasn't as talented would have been completely buried. You wouldn't have looked at him again. Sort of like what happened with Shelton Benjamin a couple of years ago when Triple H buried him. But no, and then Triple H buried Booker T, when he wouldn't put him over. But Booker oh, T yeah. always overcame that and has had a sensational career. And um, great, great real story about his life, how he was homeless at one time. Uh, how he, he went to prison. He overcame all of that to be who he is today. So kudos to Booker T, man. We could talk about Booker T all day. Uh, yeah. Who was your number seven? Uh, my number seven is Steamboat, so we can wait a bit on that. But yeah, one thing I want to mention about Booker yeah. before we uh move yeah. on is I absolutely loved when Harlem Heat was put together with Sherry. I I don't want to go Sister Sherry. Yeah, that was one of my favorite acts ever, especially <laughs> now I'm going to say it right here. Yes, that the infamous, the infamous bro. Oh, my God. And we just approached the 25th anniversary of it. Oh, Kogan, we coming for you, the N-word. That, oh, and, and as soon as he said it, you knew he fucked up. You oh. look. <laughs> but Sherry was like such a trooper. He's, she just pats him on the cheek like, it's okay. It's okay. Oh, man. That was a, another thing that he overcame because a lesser of a worker, less of a talent. Oh, yeah, never, that, couldn't couldn't have overcome that. Today uh, you get fired. Oh, oh, today that would be all over Twitter. Look, if a slap got you ten years barred from the Oscars, that word right there would get you barred from any type of booking or whatever. Period. And look what it did to Hogan. Hogan was blackballed for years. <laughs> yeah, I know. <laughs> oh, and talk about things coming full circle. He calls Hogan the N word, and then they catch Hogan. 
uh, 20 years later doing the same shit on video <laughs> Oh, man. Life life is nothing but full circle. All right. There, uh, the place to be nation's number six is Van Vader. We'll save that because he's both high on both all this, right? Yeah. So um, my number six is Barry. So Bar- let's, we, we already talked about Barry. So, so, so let's your go. Number six. My number six is Vader, which is... All right, so we talk about it. Go ahead. Let's talk about Vader now. Okay. Yeah, Big Van Vader. He was a monster. Just a mean mother effer. And, oh, I have to say, one of the scariest wrestlers of all time. Just... When he had the helmet. Oh, my God. What year did he do Saved by the Bell? I mean, not Saved by the uh, Bell. No, Boy Boy Meets World. World. 96... I think 96, 97 when he was in WWE. All right. So you had already been in high school at that point, right? Uh, junior high. Oh, when you were born in? 84. Okay. So did that episode scare the shit out of you? Did his, his presence on that show scare the shit No. <laughs> no. Because that, that was a show built for children. And I, I heard that kids was saw that they, they, they were frightened of Vader. Really? <laughs> yes. <laughs> oh, I did not realize. Well, yeah, when you're a little kid, that look, he, he's a scary man. Especially, he, yeah, he would, like, especially, like, when he would put you in the corner and he'd, like, punch you in the gut. And oh, those, my, oh, how about those shots to the head? Oh, those weren't work punches. No. He was stiff as stiff can be. Uh, Was it in Japan or America where his eye popped out and he popped it back in? Against Stan Hansen. Might have been Japan. Okay, and then they had the rematch in the United States on a pay-per-view. Okay. Right? And they they were building, they built around that. But uh, Vader, the minute he, he came into WCW, he was super over. And the best matches of Sting's career, in my opinion, were not against Flair. We were they against were, Vader. They oh, were against yeah. Vader. Those were the best matches he ever had. You had the, you had the... Great American Bash match that Vader won the title. You had my favorite match between the two, Starcade. No, not Star. Yeah, Starcade '92, the finals of the King oh, of the Cable. King, King of Cable. King of yeah. Cable, which was a tremendous match, tremendous match. And then you had the White Castle Affair match. Oh, the White Castle Affair is just. <laughs> 1993, Greg. Vader had a year that was equivalent to Bret Hart's 1997 and Ric Flair's 1989. He had, on both the Clash and the pay-per-views, great match after great match after great match. It started at the Super Brawl in 93 against Sting. He had a great match at the Clash in June against Davy Boy Smith. That was a great match. Yeah. Uh, You had at... uh, Halloween Havoc, right? With Halloween Cactus. Havoc, we talked uh, we talked earlier against Cactus Jack and Starcade. Uh, since one of the greatest Starcade matches of all time against Flair. Talk about his 1993, uh, Greg. How special a year that was for Vader. Yeah, it was like really. I mean, for a big man, like Vader would always impress the hell out of me because, like, even as a little kid, I always had the impression like. Oh, well, big men, they don't have exciting matches. Not because yeah, you, 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 you were used to watching guys like uh, uh, fucking Andre. 
Yeah. Yeah. Andre Lee Crew Andre and Giant Gonzalez. But no, Vader could get the best out of anybody half his size and have an amazing match. Whether it was Flair, whether it was Davy Boy, whether it was Sting, whether it was Cactus. I mean, it was the first person that I ever saw in the ring that would be, for his size, like I would consider a great worker. Well, you 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 mentioned it because uh, as stiff as Vader was in the ring, and he was a stiff motherfucker, he'd sell for you. He yes. was he wasn't like Brody, Bruiser Brody would if he didn't feel like it, he would just stand there and. Act like you weren't, weren't hurting him. No, Vader would. He sold the hell out for, for staying. He sold for Flair. And, and man, he beat the shit out of Flair in that Starcade match. Oh, but, God. Yeah, Flair loved it. Fucking Flair. Yeah. Flair. I think Flair did got hard from that fucking match. He loved it so much. And Cactus Jack, he was stiff with Cactus Jack. Cactus Jack loved it. Vader, the only person he couldn't do that against, and we'll talk about it. And that really. Ended his run in WCW even before Paul Orndorff kicked oh, his ass. Yeah, his, his feud with Hogan was that was an abysmal feud. That was yeah, horrible. That was very disappointing he, to me. Cause he can't have the type, and which pissed me off, Greg, because Hogan had those type of matches with Stan Hansen in Japan. He couldn't do the same thing with Vader. We know Vader knew Hogan had to go over, but come on, make it make it a nice brawl. Make it good. No, Hogan was on that. Huh, don't hit me, brother. Brother, that that's not gonna work for me, brother. <laughs> and even if he did, it would get him even more over. I don't, I don't, I. Uh, no, no, brother, brother, what you did to the to the to, to, to cactus and uh, flare, brother, and Sting, ain't, ain't gonna work for me, brother. <laughs> no, get the fuck out of here. And then, of course, the the fight with Paul Orndorff, uh, and then. He goes to WWF where they completely butchered him. The WWF, they were going to give him the belt. Shawn Michaels started bitching and moaning, didn't want to do the job. So instead, he did the job to Sid Vicious a few months later. And then eventually, Vader became a jobber to the stars late in his run at WWF. Yeah. Very disappointing run. But as far as WCW goes, up until his feud with Hogan, he was booked incredibly incredibly well uh he would bill watts loved him Ole anderson loved him dusty loved him flair loved him those were all the bookers they loved vader because they knew they would get 100 percent, and the matches looked authentic it didn't look like some stage shit shit you see today it looked like when you wrestled vader from 1992 to 1994 in wcw it looked like if the rest of the shit looked fake his matches looked real Yes. And anytime you saw Vader wrestle on a WCW paper, you knew this is going to be the best match on the show. You just knew. 100%. Uh, the place to be nation's number five is Luger. We'll hold off on that for now. Uh, oh, man. I, I can't wait to talk about Luger. Mr. Mr. They've shitted on him for years. Uh, oh, my- man. Now he's finally getting his due, damn it. Yeah. 
My number five is Ricky Steamboat. We'll hold off on that for now. No, we talk about Steamboat now. Number yeah, my number he was five, my is number Steamboat. seven. Yeah, he was your number seven. Uh, you go ahead and lead off with Steamboat since you had him at seven. Okay, so yeah, Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. I, when you talk about the history of Jim Crockett Promotions slash WCW, he is maybe other than Flair, probably the best worker from bell to bell and i mean he started out you know with you know great matches with flair like the early 80s and then he has that phenomenal tag team with jay youngblood and i think we talked about the uh the final conflict match yeah, in one greensboro of greatest, one of the greatest tag teams of all uh, matches of all time by the way i believe he started in 76 oh feuded with flair he goes back. I think he was only 22, 23 at the time. He was Whoa. a young man. They took a uh, Jim Crockett and George Scott took a look at him. And, and George Scott said, this box office, look at the way this. He looks like a young uh, Bruce Lee. Look at that build. Look how athletic. This is box office. And they put him with flair right away. And they made each other superstars. Yeah. And the most insane thing that Flair mentions is. Everyone talks about how their yep. 89 matches were great. But Flair says, we had like 100 matches that were better than that, that were only on house shows, and that nobody will ever see. Now, Jim Cornette has some videos that he found in the garbage when he was le- when, when um, Crockett got sold yes. to Turner. And that he's got, um, they were uh, house show matches, no no commentary. And you've got some of those matches on those tapes. Okay, I I I see the few, and um, I'm not saying he was 100% correct, but uh, the matches were phenomenal. <laughs> well, there's that one I had it on my WCW list. The uh, the one match that's on YouTube, if you know where to look, the 80, the one match from Landover at '89. Oh, that's on a house show. Match. Oh, that, that was, was a that's yeah, a very that, good match. And I attend I attended the Night of Champions. May 29th, I believe it was. Yeah. May 29th, 1984 at the Meadowlands. And I only have two matches I've seen in my lifetime better than that match. Flair Steamboat at the Clash of Champions in New Orleans and Cactus Jack versus Triple H at the Royal Rumble in 2000. Yeah, 2000. Those are the only two matches I've been live to in person that I felt was better than that match at the Meadowlands. And that ma- that match is also available on YouTube, May 29th, 1984. Whoever shot it with was a shitty, shitty, shitty camera, but the whole match is there. <laughs> it's not today, like today when you could have like a GoPro and let take me, it let in me like tell 4K. You something. Last Friday, not yesterday, but the, by the way, ladies and gentlemen, we're recording this on the afternoon of April 9th. Well, April Fool's Day, April 1st, I took my lady to the Prudential Center. We saw a new edition of concert. And with my iPhone, and I don't even have the latest iPhone. I think I have iPhone 10. I don't, I don't, it's not an 11. Well, that's better, than, that's better than me. I have an 8 plus. All right. I took great video and I'm, I'm not in the floor seats. I'm in the section behind the floor because I hate the floor seats, Greg. Greg, you've been to concerts at the Nassau Coliseum, the Prudential Center, the Meadowlands. If you're on the floor, if you're not in the first 10 rows, forget no, it. You're not right? going to see anything. Because people are standing, and if you're short like me, you're not, you're not going to see anything. I like to get a long 
the 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 along the, the next section, first five rows behind the floor seats. You could sit down, watch the whole thing, and you could see everything. That's where I was sitting, and I took videos of most of the show, like the first minute of each song. And when I look at it, I'm like, oh shit, this shit looks better than any fucking camcorder recorded wrestling back in the '80s and '90s. <laughs> Oh man! No wonder the WWE snatches people's iPhones at the house shows. <laughs> you can't do that here, brother. <laughs> what were some of your favorite Steamboat matches? Um. Okay, so I'm gonna have to. Th- uh yo, one thing. Not, I, not, 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 not including the 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 Holy Trinity against Flair. No, 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 not that. Um. Well, I think the, the tag match with Dustin against Orn and Larry. I love that. Great match. Great, great match. And the the way they built to his return is one of my favorites where he's coming out and he's got the uh, the dragon mask on and he's like walking very slowly and like Arn and Larry are yelling at uh JR and Toadie and JR is like, We had nothing to do with this. Yeah. Don't play don't play <laughs> us. And then when he takes off the mask and the crowd goes nuts, and Gary Michael Pettis says, It's Ricky, the Dragon Steamboat! And the looks on Sabisco and Arn's face were priceless, and, and they walk out the ring for a second, they're like, No! No! This is not fair! <laughs> and Arn saying, No, not Ricky Steamboat! <laughs> oh, man. Hey, uh, I, I love this his series with Steve Austin. This series oh, with Steve Austin was the, tremendous. The Clash match is one of my favorites. Which one? They had two Clash matches. Uh, the um, the the one, the Cedar Rapids match, the one where uh, he wins the U.S. title. Isn't that his last match? Yeah, I believe that's his last match. He got hurt in that match. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he would have one more match. Uh, years later with Jericho. Yeah, with Jericho. You know what's but, crazy about that match, uh, Greg? When he came back for that one night. Yeah, he looked, like, he looked like the 1980s steamboat the way he wrestled. It's like 15 years now. Nah, it's like nothing. <laughs> oh, but then unfortunately later that year he he had that. What was he? They had that. Uh, well, what happened? He got he got seriously injured in an angle with NX with uh, what was it? NXT Nexus Nexus Nexus. Nexus yeah. I think yeah. And that was it. He never stepped into a ring again after that. Uh, damn, that 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 was sad because he had such shown great potential in that match against Jericho. Now, what was it? He injured his neck. What was the the reason he had to retire? Oh God, after after the Jericho match? No, no, the the oh, Steve Austin. I, I, oh, oh the Austin match. Yeah, I think it was his neck. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We talk about full circle. Why was Steve Austin forced to retire? His neck. neck. And then, damn. and then, and then, after twenty years later, he has a phenomenal match with Kevin Owens. It looked like he never lost a step, huh? Oh, unbelievable! And that was all. That all credit is given to Kevin Steen. Um, Greg, I said this on Twitter. He reminds me so much of Pierre Lafitte. Uh, Carl, oh, yeah, the way Carl Willette, he he wrestles just like him. Yeah, it's insane. It was a, he's built like him and he wrestles like him. I'm like, God, I know they were a tag team. When Kevin Steen first broke in, his tag team partner was called Carl, Carl Willette. So, uh, oh, I guess. I, 
I didn't yeah, know that. If, if you if you go to his Wikipedia, if you go to early, uh, Jacques Rougeau was his trainer, and when he first started in Montreal, because he's from Montreal, Carl Willette was his tag team partner. So that's why you see so much of Carl Willette in his style. I mean, I love watching Kevin Owens, man. He's a tremendous, the fucking bumpsy. The bumpsy took in that match were ridiculous. I, I didn't yeah. break his back. <laughs> oh, I got to give Austin credit. Like, he was like, you know what? Let's go all out in this. I really got to admire that. Because you'd think, you know, with the neck problems he's had, it's like, eh, might want to take it a little easy. No. It's like, it's going to be in front of my home state how, in Texas. How much, you, how much you think they paid him that night? Oh, they must have paid him a lot of money. Would you think? Would Would you say six million, maybe? I, yeah, I, I wouldn't be surprised if it was ten million. Well, I, I, I take a suplex on on the concrete floor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I take a, I take a uh, bump, and if I get hurt, I, I guarantee you, Jerry's gonna pay for it. <laughs> Jerry McDevitt. <laughs> well, Jerry Jones probably. Oh, Jerry Jones too. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, let's go to your number five, Goldberg. Now we can oh, talk yeah. about Goldberg. Bill Goldberg, yeah. Uh, well, came out of the University of Georgia football program. Uh, I believe he had a stint in the uh, the World League of American Football with uh, Sacramento. Uh, if you remember the World League of American that was football. That was a botched abortion. Oh it was. It could have been so good. I like the idea of having, like, an actual World League of teams with, like, in America and Europe. That was like a cool concept to me as a kid but it oh, was like oh well you remember as a kid when the baltimore colts had a team in the right there cfl, called, yeah. CFL. <laughs> and they wanted to call them the baltimore cfl colts and like the nfl was like no can't do that brother <laughs> yeah but you had a few teams in america in the cfl back then i think baltimore was the first but yeah you know they never got you know I'm not a fan of the games in London. I'm not a fan. And if you no. notice, Greg, the last few years, they've been sending the bottom feeders out there. Uh, oh. Jacksonville goes every year. Because, <laughs> like, oh, oh, yeah, have... yeah, Tony Conan's death. They don't give a crap. They don't give a crap <laughs> about their team. <laughs> oh, man. Urban, Urban Oscar Meyer. Yeah, so uh, oh, don't get me started on Urban Meyer. <laughs> that horrible. piece of crap! What a horrible human being he is. I'm glad he got exposed. <laughs> but a uh, Goldberg did Goldberg lose early in his career before he started the streak? Yeah, but you know, what? did he lose a match to Steve McMichael? Remember some, they had the whole thing about fighting over the Super Bowl ring or some uh, shit. That's right, because yeah, cause, because Mongo had a Super Bowl ring and. Uh, Goldberg played for the Falcons, so I think that was the news. <laughs> and wasn't Goldberg part of that team, Piper? Uh, yeah, yeah, they so did. Oh, Goldberg God. at the at the beginning, there was almost no Goldberg because he got buried in that, and he got buried against McMichael. But then Kevin Sullivan has said on several podcasts he took Goldberg, he hit Goldberg for a few months, brought him back, repackaged him. As this beast, and it, I think he was based right on a UFC fighter, like how UFC would look with the no robe coming down the ring with the black gloves. Yeah, and little by little, the Goldberg momentum was building. And early '98, 
he was uh, the focus of the promotion, they would 50 and 0, 60 and 0. And the, the undefeated streak, the unbeaten streak took on a life of his own. Yeah, because it got like insane. Like when Tanay would bring up, like, well, he's now like, he's 76 and 0. And I'm like, wow, this is something. Like, they never ever bring up somebody's record. So this must be important if he's 76 and 0. He squashed Raven. Basically, he beat up Raven's flock because everybody interfered in that match and he destroyed all of them, got the U.S. title. And then, while I understood why they did it, oh yeah, WCW it, they threw away the ball. millions of dollars no. with that Nitro match. Hogan with those patented leg drops has delivered two, and here comes Kurt Hennig to ringside. And we've got company. There's Marone and DDT following Hennig. He kicked out from the Hogan leg drop. That has Hollywood stunned. That would have been the main event instead of that fucking Dennis Rodman, Carl Malone bullshit. Imagine the numbers they would have done that was it Bash of the Beach instead of putting it on Monday Nitro. Yeah, that would have been some or if they saved it for Starcade that year. If they had it as the main event of Starcade, it would have done, I think, even bigger numbers than Hogan Sting. And Hogan Sting has set the record. So yeah. Yeah. I mean, but they you know what? You, you they, they popped a huge number, and you know, and the it was phenomenal. Was all, and I, it was phenomenal because it was at the Georgia Dome with that but big they crowd. Had already, they had already sold the tickets. Yeah, that match that match didn't make the gate. The, the The promotion made the gate. Nitro was the hottest thing on television. They had already sold the tickets. They what that 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 match? They announced that match the week before. The tickets had already been sold. All that was left were cheap seats. All the great seats were gone. So I don't, uh, they dropped the ball to pop a huge rating, but it was a very good match. And Goldberg destroyed all the NWO guys coming to the ring to try to interfere. He pins Hogan in the middle of the ring. And then WCW did what they did with Sting in 90 and what the WWF did with Ultimate Warrior in 1990. They made Goldberg the second banana to the guy he beat. Because, wait, is it? Oh God! Is it is the next month that horrible like Road Wild match with DDP and Mr. Black? Yep, yep. Oh yep, God! Yep, yep. yeah. We, that, oh, did Mr. Black got the pin right? <laughs> oh God! 
talk about a bigger asshole than Urban Meyer. It was Mr. Black and DDP versus what? Hogan and Rodman? Oh, Hogan and Bischoff. Oh, Hogan and Bischoff. Right, right, right. It was Hogan and Rodman versus Malone and, and DDP. And DDP, but yeah. Well, yeah. you know what? That Cora Malone DDP thing with uh, Rodman and Hogan, that, at least that was coming off a hot NBA finals in and, and they were real athletes. Yeah. And Mr. Black. They're not athletes. No. That was horrendous. And then, uh, who was Goldberg's opponent that night? Was it the Giant? Who was, was he even on the court? I gotta look this up. And look that up. Who was Goldberg's opponent during that pay-per-view? Okay. Road Wild 1998 on Truth by Consensus Wikipedia. If... <laughs> Come on. Load. Okay. Here we go. Oh. Goldberg was in an NWO Invitational Battle Royal, and he won by last eliminating the Giants. How do you have your world champion in a fucking Invitational Battle? Man, that was Hogan behind the scenes, burying him already. Already burying him. That doesn't make any goddamn sense. He had the great match we've talked about several times against DDP at Halloween Havoc that year, and then he has a nice three-way feud with a returning Bam Bam Bigelow and uh, Kevin Nash. And then we have the night that WCW should have just closed the doors. Yeah. And they could have made a lot of money had they sold the promotion the night after because the promotion was all but dead with the goddamn finish against Kevin Nash at Starcade 98. Talk about that, Greg. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, God rest his soul. Scott Hall tasers Goldberg and Nash gets the power bomb and one, two, three. That's the end of the streak. And that's the end of his title reign. That's the end of WCW. They never recovered from that. And yeah. then well, and then they had the angle on Nitro where he gets arrested for sexual harassment or some of some for, shit on Liz. And then the entire NWO beats the hell out of him. Luger comes in to act like he's doing the same, and then Luger turns on Goldberg, and they bury Goldberg. Then, what was that, a month or two later? No, it was a year later, where they buried him in the middle of the fucking desert. <laughs> WCW. The only feud that made sense with Goldberg after he lost the title was his feud with Sid in late the fall of... 2000. Oh, that. that's one of my favorite feuds ever. Because you where, had that great match at Halloween Havoc 2000 where he beat the shit out of Sid. That was a great fucking match. I think is is that the feud where like he breaks his car, uh, Goldberg breaks Sid's car, and he's yelling Goldberg. Yeah. And also, Sid played a great chicken heel because Go Sid's in the ring talking shit about Goldberg, and Goldberg's like, "I'm coming," and Sid was like, "No." I'm leaving now. We don't need to do this right now. <laughs> I said, hey, look at this big mother, six foot eight motherfucker acting like a, a shit heel of a cow, shit coward of a heel. Loved it. Sid was in his element during that feud with Goldberg. And Sid had a podcast up until a year ago, and he talked glowingly about Goldberg. And he loved working with Goldberg because they looked like two real men in a real fight. Then the promotion folds up. And the WWF again made a mistake. They should have offered Goldberg the world 
with oh, WCW yeah. ending. Uh, who cares that it would have upset the locker room? You know what? I don't give a you fuck. Would've, you would have made all that money back in one night. Think about a SummerSlam main event of Goldberg versus Stone Cold. If you had Goldberg leading the WCW, you didn't need anybody else. You didn't need Flair. You didn't need DDP. You didn't need, all you needed was one dude, Goldberg. You would have had go, the invasion angle. Goldberg leading WCW versus Austin leading WWF. Because at the time, The Rock was filming a movie, so he couldn't be involved. The Rock didn't come back to the fall of, of, of uh, yeah. so, uh, SummerSlam. Uh, he didn't come back to SummerSlam. SummerSlam. Yeah, because yeah. he was filming Scorpion King. So in March, because remember, Rock leaves right after WrestleMania. You do the invasion angle. Goldberg leads WCW versus Austin WWF. You fuck fuck that whole turn that Austin did. You turn they turned him face and then he turned again. When he instead of Austin leading WCW, it's Goldberg leading WCW versus Austin leading WWF. That's made your box office, man. And then you could have the whole thing culminate at WrestleMania in two thousand and two. In Toronto, yeah. Like I said, you would have made all. You could have even made all that money back in one night with the invasion pay per view. Yeah, but you but you continue it as a storyline, and yeah. you have the two separate shows. SmackDown could be W. They went to it anyway after they got rid of the invasion angle. And everything. What did they do? They did the the two brands. Well, you could have kept the two brands because you owned the WCW day. Oh, yeah, boy. I I. I it's like who cares if one side was you own them both? Who cares? What no are they gonna, gonna do? It's gonna, all egos. It's like no one's gonna care. It made absolutely no sense. All right, uh, place to be's number four is Ricky Steamboat. We already talked about him. So, uh, who's my number four, Greg? Well, your four is Vader. So let's let's finally talk about the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, because he was my number four. Uh, Go ahead. Well, well, Dusty Rhodes, the American Dream. Uh, what do you think of like the most charismatic promos in the history of professional wrestling? Nobody could deliver a promo better than Dusty. He would get you to care so much about what the situation is like. I gotta say, the one of the all-time greatest promos in the history of professional wrestling. Hard times, and when you say hard times, everyone knows what you mean. Everybody, you talking, you talking Dusty after they break his leg in the cage in the Omni, September of 1985, when Flair turned on him. Yo, know, that promo to me is legendary. It's like hard times, or when the auto workers are getting laid off. Yeah, a guy works 50 years. 50 years, they pat him on the back, give him a watch, and say, a computer took your place, daddy. That's hard times. What upset me the following week on WCW's uh, World Championship Wrestling Saturday night, he tried to do the same pro all over again, and people, I saw it, and I was like, nah, man, it, you can only do that one time. He, he tried to recreate the atmosphere. It didn't work, because most of the people in the audience had already seen the the worldwide, which he originally did it on. <laughs> that pro, he had so many great promos, Greg. The promo you referenced earlier, when um, Arn turned on Dustin and then let's seal it with a kiss. <laughs> oh, he goes, 
So the whites were blood. <laughs> the the Kennedys were blood. <laughs> I was just great. Oh, that was just an incredible, incredible promo. And underrated worker. I mean, people shit on him, but he had great matches with Tully Blanchard. Great matches with Flair. Um, I love the matches with him and Sting versus the Road Warriors, even though they tried their hardest, but people were booing Dusty and, and not the Road Warriors. Yeah, I think at this time, late 88, it's like... People Dusty, got tired of Dusty. Yeah. People got tired of Dusty. I think it, it's kind of like the It's weird because it's kind of like what happened with Cody in AEW. It's like people were like... What happened with Hogan in WCW before... He left and it came back and turned on Savage at the Bash at the Beach. Yeah. I mean, it's like people, like, I don't, when you're all over the TV, it's like they just get sicky. But, I mean, the, the funny thing about, like, similar thing with Dusty and, and Cody now is when they both got back to Vince, it's like they got to be super over. Let me, I, let me tell you something. Cody, last Monday Night Raw, and this is the first Monday Night Raw I've watched in, in its entirety in several, several years. Cody is super fucking over. Oh, yeah. And I, I've got to be honest. If you save, the, I think, the big money match they can do, and they can save it for, like, they could do it for WrestleMania next year, or they could save it for SummerSlam. Him against Roman would be like phenomenal. I think, box I office. think Roman. I think Roman Rock is going to be next year's WrestleMania. You really think? Throw, yeah, because it's in Hollywood. Um, yeah, Nick it makes Con, sense. Nick, Nick Khan is close with uh with Rock, and Rock and Roman is family. He loves that family. They're basically family, and he would put Roman over. You could save that match for next year's SummerSlam, or if Roman's injury is real bad, you could have uh Cody. Hold the title for a little while, Roman get it back, and then wrestle the Rock. I think that the match to make is Roman versus Rock, but in the meantime, Cody versus Brock. Cody versus Cody's definitely going to be at the top of the card regardless. He is super over, super yeah. over. It ain't never over. It ain't ever going to be over. <laughs> but how many superstar fathers have had two uh, sons? I oh. mean, you've. Oh, yeah, that, I can't even think of that. I mean, other than Fritz? And Stu Hart. Fritz and Stu Hart. Because Owen and Brett, better workers than him. But if you look at the total pack, Fritz was a great promo. Brett wasn't a great promo until 97, and Owen was never a great promo. He was, you know, that... He was just uh, the goofy guy. A goofy guy. Kevin and Kerry cannot, couldn't cut a promo to oh, save no. their fucking lives. No. Right? David could, but he died too soon. Yeah. Right? Cody and Dustin, tremendous on the mic and tremendous in the ring. Total package, like their pops. Yeah, we. I gotta say, you mentioned Brett is a great promo guy after 97 onwards. You know what? I would be remiss if I didn't mention the Hell Dandy promo. Oh, man. Oh, man. Let me tell you about who deserves a shot at the United States Heavyweight Championship. I'm the champion. I ought to know. You know, I've, I've been sizing up guys since I came to the WCW. And I think the one guy that stands out the most, the guy that I think has earned a title shot, L. Dandy, I think you're a heck of a wrestler, you're a great technician in the ring, and you're a jam-up guy. Whoa. I don't see any Whoa. reason... Wait a minute. L. Dandy has been wrestling in, in, in the cruiserweight division here, please. He's a great wrestler. 
He's a great wrestler, but thank goodness sakes, at 50 pounds. Who are you to, to, to doubt El Dandy? Because this guy's a serious professional. Well, let's talk about some serious how about, the, how about hypnosis? Let's get thrown Psychosis? Out psychosis? Whatever, whatever. He's a great wrestler. You know, you can say what you want. You can try to tear these guys down and take them down. But psychosis has also he's been a high flyer of the highest yes, magnitude. But he's this guy's still a cruiserweight. Let's, let's get, let's okay, get some. How about Dean Malenko? I was going to give him a title shot. He was the big man, oh. wanted to injure me. Hey, come injure me now, you little punk. He's sitting at home with some kind of hokey injury. This is a real injury, Dean Malenko. Dean this Malenko. is like groin pull the likes you've never seen in your whole life. Well, he right now is nursing a very bad sprained ankle. Yeah. And the, the way he looked at the camera with that smirk, he <laughs> shitted all over El Dandy. That's so great. He's like, oh, El Dandy, he's a great wrestler. He's deserving, no. he's deserving of, the, of, of a title shot. <laughs> you know what? He convinced me. Who am I to doubt El Dandy? <laughs> oh, man. I know a lot of Lucha fans were pissed at that promo because El Dandy was a great luchador. But man, Brett really shitted on that guy, and he sold it so great with, you know, with that Bret Hart smirk. <laughs> and then the best is like, oh, oh Dean Marenko, you got a groin ball. This is a real groin ball, the likes of which you've never seen in your whole life. Oh, man. Oh. <laughs> so let's go to the number. Let's go to the number. Oh, we already spoke about that number three, Arn Anderson. Yeah. So, uh, my number three. Who's my number three, big man? Your number three is Sting. Oh, my, it's my number two. So you know what? We can. Let's no, let's go to you, let's go to your number three then. Who's your number three? Oh, well, let's, yeah. Well, let's do it. Uh, your number three is my number. Yeah. All right. So let's do Sting. Let's do Sting. Let's, let's do Sting because yeah, we're gonna give. Let's save the the yeah. my number three and give him his due. By the way, normally, our top three. Our top three are. The same three wrestlers, just different positioning, two and three. Different positions. So yeah, yeah. So my my number three is Sting, which is your number two. Uh, started off with Sting. Talk about when you first saw him. He was all over the after bags. And yeah. During the dark times of WCW, he was the one guy everybody, every wrestling fan knew who knew who he was. Yes. Well, I think I've, I've mentioned it on a couple podcasts. I did not have. TBS in my area until 1994. So anything I would have of WCW would either be through the uh, magazines, the after magazines. Uh, by, by the way, I want to explain something to the listeners because people do not, people are like, what? You didn't have cable till 94? You had cable vision, well, right? Here, Let me, right? You had I, cable well, vision. No. Right? And you lived in Long I, Island. I had right? cable. I huh. lived in Long Island. I had cable. But I was in the one area of Long Island that did not have cable vision. I had TCI where I lived. So because I, I lived I lived in the South Bronx at the time and the South Bronx did not get Cablevision when Cablevision owned the rights to the entire borough of the Bronx. But they picked and choose what neighborhoods to wire. My neighborhood was the last neighborhood Cablevision wired in November of 1995. Wow. Oh, my God. It was it, it was because they uh, the Dolans who owned Cablevision at the time were under the impression that uh, minorities didn't watch cable, which was bullshit because if you look at analytics and demographics, they watch TV more than regular folks. But anyway, that explains a lot about the Dolan family. Oh, <laughs> my fucking God. We didn't get wired till November of 1995. Oh, I used to have to 
uh, pay a friend of mine ten dollars a week so he could record all the TBS and uh, ten All American. Yeah, just so I could watch, so, just so I could watch it on videotape in order to keep up with wrestling because oh, it was it, it was no no shit off his back. All right, give me a black tape, ten dollars. Monday cool. Monday morning at work, he'd bring me the tape and I'd, I'd watch it during the week. But God damn it, man, it was unfair. But you you said you had TCI. I didn't know TCI could come into Long Island. I thought it was yeah. all Cablevision. No, it was the one. It was in Brookhaven out in Long Island. So I lived in the one area where I had TCI. But I because weren't they known at the time as Cablevision of Long Island? Yeah, but it, I mean, it wasn't. I mean, it wasn't cable. I mean, I don't know how TCI got into this one area in Long Island. So I just happen <laughs> to live here. But I think the reason I didn't have TBS, and I I've I had this theory, is because I think because TBS was a super station. Yes, we had is. as our super station here until like summer of '94. Because this would make sense because we didn't get TBS until September of '94. We had as the super station on. TCI, WSBK Channel 38 out of Boston, which aired the uh, Red Sox games. Okay, all right. And, okay. That, and that they, explains it. That and explains they it. had Worldwide, too, on WSBK. Did you have uh, WGN on TCI or no? We we didn't even have WGN. We didn't even get WGN Let me tell you something. America, like WGN wasn't on Cablevision at all. Yeah. Well, I, don't, I, I don't know if they are now because I haven't had cable. I moved du- from the du- Bronx yeah, to, du- to, to Harlem in 2005, but up until 2005, for 10 years, 95 to 2005, living in the Bronx, I had Cablevision. Now, one time was WGN on cable. Oh, yeah. And I, right now, I have a Spectrum. WGN is not on my cable channel. Well, WGN America has been rebranded as a news channel. It's now News Nation, so... I don't have that either. I've no, never had W. I've good. never had WGN as part of any cable package my and entire that, life living here. And that pissed me off because I would have loved to have had WGN for the Cubs games. Me too. Me too. I would, I would have loved to have listened to like Harry Carey like drinking a beer, having his like fishnet catching a foul ball. But I, I would, I would love to have it just so in order for me to see the other National League teams because it, uh. That that you could watch regularly instead of waiting for the ESPN game of the week or or, or whatever. Or uh, yeah, because uh, the '90s you would have had to like, uh, jeez, well, well, early '90s CBS had that horrible baseball oh, package. Yeah, yeah, I remember that as a kid. That was like my in- that was like my introduction to national baseball as a kid. Well, I'll talk one day. We're gonna talk on my regular podcast about. MLB on CBS because we've kind of talked about it earlier That's in the hard. year with the uh, the CBS 90 yeah. uh, when they had like all the big sporting events because they had the NBA Finals, the World Series, and the Super Bowl in one year and they were all awful. Yeah, because that was the last year they had the NBA package, right? Yeah, right. That was the uh, that was the year Vinnie Johnson hit the game winner for Detroit yeah. against Portland. And after that, it went to NBC for the next ten years. Yeah, okay. And that was a great package. NBC had the best coverage of the NBA out of all the networks I've seen cover it because they had the well for the first five, six years. They had the legendary Marv Albert before uh, the biting incident. All right. So back to. Sting. So when did you first hear about Sting? I know you didn't have cable. Was it the after bags or was yeah. it you seen him on, on the, the local television? 
it was the after bags commercials and do you remember the wcw globe action figures yes there was like a woolworths here on long island that's now a cvs out in cinema ridges i remember going to that as a kid and i remember seeing sting's action figure and i remember thinking this is like the greatest action figure I've ever seen in my life. Cause if you've ever seen the action figure, it's like him, like standing with his arms in the air. And it's like such a phenomenal action figure. It's like, yes, yes. It's like, wow, I want to own this action figure. And I did eventually own the action figure. So what, what year would this be? 88, 89, 90. Uh, the, well, this would be 90. Cause the globe figures were 90. Okay. Or right. so, yeah. But I mean, I would, kind of like read here and there about the matches with like Luger. I'd read about the matches he'd have with Vader and all that. And then I kind of started watching the pay-per-views because I knew a friend that had one of the uh, cheater boxes for the pay-per-views. I had it until I left uh, the Bronx in 2005. Listeners, I haven't paid for any type of pay-per-view. UFC, boxing, or wrestling since 1995. All right, continue. <laughs> <laughs> I had the, the cheater box from 96 to 05, and um, I got a nice little device now that lets me watch all, anything I want to watch for free. Go ahead, Big Ben. <laughs> <laughs> oh. All right, so um, when I started like regularly watching, like um. Well, let's see. Who you said that? you had the cheater box. What was was that? No, no my, my friends had the cheater box. So, right. so from like Beach Blast '93 onward, I'd I'd try to watch all the WCW pay per views as possible. So I remember, uh, let's see, uh, Spring Stampede. Uh, he wasn't on that. Uh, I remember the match he had with Vader on Slambury for the international title was pretty good. Um, he never had a bad match with Vader. No. And um, and then like when Hogan comes in, he's kind of like, for they make him his little buddy. They make a well, Sting Hogan's little buddy well, at well, first. It's not just that; it's like he becomes like lost in the shuffle when he comes in. And it would be the first time because from the moment he put Flair in the Scorpion Deathlock, when they shot that angle early 1988 to push yeah. the, the first clash. Until Hogan arrives in 19... So this is January of 88 to May or June of 94 when Hogan arrives. Sting is the face of the promotion. Even when Ron Simmons is the world champion, Sting is still the man. You you, you, you look at... Sting was still the man. In 94, when Hogan shows up, he takes over as the top babyface. And you're right. Sting kind of gets lost in the shuffle there, especially... They bring in Savage. They bring in all of Hogan's cronies. It wasn't until Scott Hall showed up and challenged Sting on te- television with the toothpick and everything that Sting started to get that renewed push as one of WCW's yeah. top dudes. Yeah, and then of course, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, because remember, like, in 95, he gets turned on by Flair or the reformation of the Horsemen in 95. I, 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 love, I love that. I love that match. I love yeah, that. But, but Sting looked like an idiot that whole Dude, it's like he's expecting that Flair's gonna turn on him, and he turns on him. And then, right, they make him look. They they they, they still make him look foolish because he's teaming with Luger, who's a heel. And 
the fans are like, why is he teaming with Luga? It's things like, well, Luga told me I could trust him, and he's my friend, so I trust him. Like, well, I kind, idiot. I kind like, of like that, though, because it was like something. You know, when you're in that Nitro, it was something different. It would be like, well, it's like you didn't see, like, something like that. It was like, yeah. Lex is a heel, but like when he's around Sting, it's he's like he's a baby face. Yeah. He's a baby face around Sting. And they but, also were playing off their real life friendship because they're best friends in real life. And so they, they yeah. and they owned a gym in Atlanta, I believe. They and they're a, still best friends to this life because whenever someone asks Luke about Sting, oh, 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 that's my guy. That's my guy. Oh, that's my guy. Yeah, so they were playing off of their, their real life friendship. But I also it's funny how Luga stayed. Best friends with Sting, even though Sting ratted him out. You ever heard that? No, I never heard that. Listen to this. <laughs> oh, God. What is How Luger got caught cheating on his wife when oh. Sting told his own wife. Steve Borton told Mrs. Borton. Yeah. Uh, I, when he became a born-again Christian, because, you know, Sting is a very religious man now. Yes. He was told by his pastor that he had to admit to all his sins and that he had to go to his wife and tell his wife about all the times he cheated on her. So Sting tells Mrs. Borton, yeah, I did this, I did that. But he also brought up that Luga was doing it with him with other women. And Sting's, being that Sting and Luga best friends, their wives were very close. So what did she do? She got on the phone and called Lex's wife. <laughs> oh, no. Steve just told me something, and I need to share it with you. And that led to Luca going into divorce court. With oh God! <laughs> well, but Luca, Luca forgave Sting. But there was a few years where Luca and Sting weren't close, but eventually he forgave Sting because he understood that Sting was just following advice from his reverend. But God damn, you could have kept Luca's name out your mouth, man. Come on. <laughs> I know, but <laughs> hey. Oh my god. Anything to call your name with the word, I guess. <laughs> and then uh that then led to then Luger started dating Elizabeth and we all know how that yeah. turned out. But uh back to Sting, finally, and cause full circle we talk about Luger. You're right about that working out because then rumors that Luger could not be trusted because all this time Luger is playing both sides with Sting. And then remember at the bash at the beach, Luger gets stretched out at the beginning of the match. And you're thinking, oh, is this going to be the moment where it all happens? And then afterwards, it's Hogan, of course. And during the War Games match, right, Sting gets fed up. Right, He slaps Luger and then leaves the ring. Yeah, and then it leads to uh, him going to the rafters and then reinventing himself as the crow. And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that it was a Scott Hall idea about the crow. Scott Hall told Kevin Sullivan was the booker that this is what we should do when Kevin Sullivan ran with it. Yeah. Kevin Sullivan always gives credit to Scott Hall for being, rest in peace, Scott Hall, to being a mastermind when it came to booking and that he would always come to him with ideas. And that was Scott Hall's idea. Scott Hall said, you put him in a raft. And it's funny. The one year Sting doesn't wrestle, he's the biggest star in wrestling. He's the most phenomenal. Yeah, you know, even with Austin Rising, it's like but he, Sting is Sting is number one because Austin hasn't got to the pinnacle yet. Sting is number one just by just standing in the rafters. 
Hey, did you buy those Stig masks? Oh no, I never had a Stig mask. But, oh god, oh Man. god, I would have. I, I, I bought I bought one for my son who was six years old at the time. The first time WCW came to the Nassau Coliseum, as hot as they were, they didn't come to New York at all in '97. In '96, no. they only came to New York one time. The theater at Madison Square Garden in April of '96. They didn't come to uh, the New York area till June of '98. Oh God! That, that's when I bought him the mask, and they sold out. They sold. I remember because I went to a Ticketmaster. Which Ticketmaster did I go to to get these tickets? I went to a Ticketmaster. Man, this, this is dating yourself. You went to a. To store to get for tickets from tickets. Well, but the internet was brand new, and I didn't. And I didn't have a credit card. I paid everything in cash. So I went to a Ticketmaster. For those who don't know, and it's still the same today, but except there's no Ticketmasters to go to. Ticketmaster got exclusive rights to first day sales, and then the next day, whatever tickets were left over, the arena would sell them. Today, oh. it's Ticketmaster online. Ticketmaster.com has exclusive light because there's no more Ticketmaster outlets, right? Yeah. So everything's I, online now. Everything's online now. So I went with a friend of mine to a I, I don't know if no, nobody beats the Wiz was still in business. I don't think they were in business, but where no, the Wiz was still around. All right. So we went to a nobody beats the Wiz. Uh, I forgot where in the Bronx. <laughs> do do I need to explain to those who are too young what Nobody Beats the Wiz was? Nobody Beats the Wiz was the best record store slash audio slash video equipment store in the New York City tri-state area. Okay. Yeah. Nobody it was Best Buy be- before Best Buy. It 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 blew. Yeah. Best Buy basically ripped off the Wiz's uh way of doing business. A Circuit City was the same way, too. A lot of the Nobody Beats the Wizards became Circuit City. A lot of Circuit Cities that went out of business became Best Buys. Um, first day, when a CD went on sale, first day would be like anywhere from $9.99 to $11.99. You got great deals at Nobody Beats the Wiz. Originally, they were known as the Wiz, but uh, they got into some copyright infringement, so then they called themselves Nobody Beats the Wiz. Uh, so I would I went online. They had a Ticketmaster station. They have a Ticketmaster station inside all the Nobody Beats the Wiz back then. And there was a couple of people in front of us. We got tickets. And maybe less than two minutes after we walking out with our tickets, <laughs> people were pissed off because there was a line around the fucking area of people who told those tickets sold out in 15, 20 minutes. Oh, God. The Nassau Coliseum. So when Dave Meltzer or Wade Keller talks about AEW set records with selling out quicker than anybody, that shit was happening back then. It just wasn't online. It was at the Ticketmaster fucking location. How <laughs> it's that nobody beats the wins. <laughs> Look, one year I wanted to get Barry J. Blige tickets going to Radio City Music Hall. And I said, I was like, I'm not going to an area that's urban, of that's predominantly black and brown, that's black and Latin, because the line will be too long. What I did was I took a 90-minute train ride to, <laughs> to, to Bay Ridge, all right? <laughs> the whitest area in New yeah. York. There was a Bay Ridge on 86th Street by the subway in 
Bay Ridge. Got off the train, walked over there, and I was the first in line. And then there was another, <laughs> there was another a, a young black woman that was behind me, and she was like, "Oh, you must be here for the Mary J. Blige tickets. You must have been doing the same thing I did." I said, "Yep, yep," <laughs> because our neighborhoods, it's packed. The people are outside waiting to get in. No, and I got twelve row seats. So <laughs> that's what I did until. I got a credit card a few months later, and from then on, I just waited until the shit went on sale online. And but nowadays, ladies and gentlemen, Greg, if ever you go to a, a to a uh, a game or a concert or a performance, oh, that you, just, you can just go get them on stuff. Hub. It doesn't the, even matter. But what I'm saying, if you want if you want to get tickets at the best price, yeah, do not buy them on Ticketmaster.com or the Ticketmaster no. app. Because no, no. it's over fifty to sixty dollars extra per ticket. Even no. if it, it, and you all they do it is giving you a scan. No, you go to the box office, you're paying the box office prices. You buy it on Ticketmaster, they fucking charge you fifty to sixty dollars for that scan. All right, I digress. Back to Sting. Yeah, let's you talk have, about Sting. You have the huge feud that leads. To the the Starcade '97, which said pay-per-view records, and unfortunately, that match. I don't. I to this day, I, I don't th- know what the hell was up with what that. What the fuck was that match? And Hogan buried Sting, and Sting to this day says he sees nothing wrong with the finish. What the? F- what the hell? Uh, what what are you looking at? Oh my god. Talk about the botchery that was that. F- and not only did Hogan bury Sting, he buried Bret Hart that night. Oh, yeah, because well. Bret looked like a freaking idiot. I got screwed once. I'm not going to have the same thing happen to me. What? It was it was a normal three count. Oh, my God. Supposed to be a fast count. And Nick Patrick gave a regular count because Hogan told him, that doesn't work for me, brother. <laughs> he told Nick Patrick. Do your regular cadence. Made him look like an idiot. And Sting was never as over as he was after that match. Talk about it, Greg. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm trying to think. Yeah, because they vacate the title like immediately after that, right? Yeah, and then he wins it in the rematch. Yeah. Uh, and then he loses it to Stat Savage. And then, and then, and then to finish I- off burying Sting. They make him join the NWO red and black. What the fuck? Well, I gotta be honest. I hate I that. love I, I know you did, but I as a kid, I'm 14, I'm a stupid kid. I love that <laughs> shit. So it's like when I think of Sting in this era, I, I think of the crow, but I think of the wolf pack. I'm sorry. Oh my god. And then after the NWO come together, they put Sting back in the fucking um, grafters. Look, been there, done that. An angle that gimmick's not working anymore. He did have one last great match in WCW. We talked about it. His match with DDP on Nitro, in oh. which they fucked Sting again because he only held the title for an hour. He lost an hour later, but yeah, that right. match against DDP was tremendous, and I believe that was the last time. Sting won the title, and of course, did he turn heel at some point in '99? Yeah, him and Luger. 
because him and Luger are best friends. They're teaming up with, but the fans shitted on it. They, they, yeah, they no one bought. No one would buy. They even look. They even turned Goldberg heel, and nobody would buy. The Russo was just throwing shit up against the wall, man. Yeah, he was. It, it, none of it worked. None of it worked. And WCW closed operations. What was the last match? Sting Flair and versus Sting. Sting in a shirt, and it was a very good match to end the promotion. And um, I don't know why Sting continues to wrestle today. He's got a boatload of money. I know Tony Khan is paying him a ton of money. He's taking some insane bumps as he came back. But God bless Sting. Love Sting. But you, you can't talk about Sting without talking about our number two, Lex Luger. But before we go that, let me go back to the place to be nation. Uh, Mike, so, hold on. Go ahead, okay. go ahead, Greg. Their number two is Sting. So yeah, that gets that out of the way. Let's talk about Luger. Yes. Start, so start with, start with Lex, the yeah. most underrated worker in pro wrestling history. Yeah, finally, finally, we're gonna give him his due. Everyone has shat on him for years, <laughs> but you know what? I think now everyone has seen the light. Everyone now realizes how good he is, and I'm like, dude, I've been saying that for like years. Like, where have you all been? Uh, Greg, if you look at his pay-per-view record before he left to go to the WWF, the only person that had a better run was Flair. Let's start. Let's start, okay? We start with the Great American Bash 1988. Great match versus Flair. Bullshit ending. That cut that he, he didn't even oh. know how to play what what kind of cut was that they called the match while he had flair in in, in the uh what you call it the the fuck what would you call his his finishing move the torture rack the torture rack all right then we go to starcade 88 in an incredible incredible match we talked about this match on the greatest matches in wcw history great match where he sold his leg greg he sold his leg he sold his leg to the point where he put Flair in the torture rack. That's the reason he lost. And Flair put his feet foot on the ropes. Oh. One, two, three. Great match to end that feud. Then we go to Chi-Town Rumble, 1989. His epic U.S. title match against Barry Windham. Great, great match. Overshadowed by the Flair Steebo match. If it wasn't for the Flair Steebo match, it would be the Luger win the match they talk about on that card. Tremendous match. Then he would lose the title to Michael Hayes at Wrestle War 89 in easily Hayes' best match during his entire run of that promotion. Luger carried that match to a good match. Uh, he would get the U.S. title back two weeks later, and then he would turn on Steamboat at the June Clash 89 against Terry Funk, where he beat the hell out of Steamboat with the chair, and then Great American Bash 89. Oh, great match with Steamboat. Incredible match with Steamboat and Luger, where Steamboat returns the favor with the chair, but then Steamboat leads the promotion a week later, and WCW has to redirect Luger, and he brings out the best match Tommy Rich ever had in WCW at the Clash. Champions of September of 89. Shockingly great match from an old, well, he's not even 30 years old yet, from a washed up 
Tommy Drug Rich. Written, alcohol written Tommy Rich. Uh, and, and, yeah. And that was a tremendous match. And then Halloween Havoc 89, I attended this match in the Philadelphia Civic Center. He had a great match with Brian Pillman. Great match. And I'm like, Luger, back then, and Luger and Greg, his promos, the arrogant heel, he was killing it. He was killing it. I'm like, let's set up this feud with Flair. Flair's the champion, but Flair's feuding with Terry Funk. And at the Clash of Champions in the I Quit match, Luger comes out and he destroys Sting and Flair with the chairs. And it looks like they're building Luger to be the number one heel to face Flair. Then you had the, what you call that, Future Shock at the, Star the, the, uh, Yeah, the, Star uh, the Iron Man tournament. The Iron Man tournament, Future Shock. And Luger has great matches that night with Sting and Flair. Sting wins the tournament. And then they decide, and I they think... Do, was, yeah, they do the Horseman revival, and then yeah. they do the, the turn with Flair on Sting. They had to change directions because the plan was Sting wins the title at Wrestle... Was it Wrestle War in February? Right, Wrestle, Wrestle War, and, yeah, and his first, And his first opponent would be Luger, because Luger was supposed to wrestle Dr. Death Steve Williams that night at Wrestle War. But yeah. because Sting... Hurt his knee, injured his knee, and was going to be out for six months. They turned Luger face, and Luger and Flair have another great match at Wrestle War, and which was a bullshit. What was it? A, a DQ finish, something like horrible that. finish, but it was yeah. a great match. And then comes the debacle, the Capital Combat Robocop bullshit. <laughs> oh God. <laughs> And that was a good match, but the ending just shitted oh, all over the match. The whole I remember Gordon Sully being like, "Oh, here comes RoboCop," and RoboCop just breaking the fourth, and the four horsemen trying to be like scared of RoboCop. Wait a minute, the horsemen are already yeah. up. They just threw Sting in the cage. They just threw Sting in the cage that Cornette was in. Sting has been caged by the horseman, but here comes RoboCop, Bob. Sid Vicious, Ole Anderson, Arn Anderson, they all attacked him, threw him into the cage. What's he, but look at RoboCop now as he's approaching. He is not they're, back, in, they're backing away from him. He's not intimidated, Bob. RoboCop going right to the cage. This You're going to be a bucket of balls when we get down with you. Oh, gosh almighty. He's pulling that door right off the hinges. Uh, Strength by Robocop! Whoa. And man, you want a piece of him, Horseman! <laughs> Look at Ole and Hart and, and Big Sid back up. Uh, and the expression on their faces say, what the heck have we got here? Now, the night that Sting finally wins the title from Flair at the Great American Bash, Luger has a very good match. Yes! With a future Undertaker in Mean Mark Callis. Mean Mark Callis, yes. Now, funny enough, Great American Bash 90 at the one video store by me. There was only one WCW tape they had among that the mountain. It was yeah. that pay-per-view. So I rented that at like, God, I want to say 94 or something. And it, that was like very surprising because I just, I had no idea Undertaker was in WCW. You mock, yeah, that was a very good match. Yeah. Then, then after that match, 
we're talking, all right, that was Great American Bash 90. He has a great match with Flair at the Clash of Champions in September of 90, in which Stan Hansen interferes. And then he has two great matches, Halloween Havoc and Starcade, with Stan Hansen. So look at this rundown. That, that hasn't been a bad match. They've all been good to great. Yeah. And the bull rope match with Hansen was a way of, of Luger going over without having to pin Hansen. As Hansen went back to Old Japan after the Hansen feud, Luger, this is not, we we talking now. Okay, now we have the whole controversy. With, oh, before that, oh, before that, did we, we, we yeah, mention the, the, the Steiners Steiner. versus Luger? Oh, my favorite tag team match in WCW history. Love that match. They booked it brilliantly. They booked even the finish was booked brilliantly because it sets up the feud with Nikita. And Sting, because remember Nikita was feuding with Luger up at that up until that point. So that the, and the, the, that match was was that Wrestle War or uh, that was Wrestle Super War ninety one because that's the same no Super right. Brawl no Super Brawl was the um May of ninety one that's the same uh, pay per view that has the uh, Foyer Fujinami match. Okay, the tremendous match, and then of course Flair leaves the promotion. And Luger has a very good match with Wyndham, but the crowd shitting on it because they want Flair. We want Flair. Luger turns heel. He gets the title, and he has one last great match. The match with Ron Simmons, two out of three falls at Halloween Havoc 91, in which Luger wrestled with a staph infection and and had a great match with Ron Simmons. Great match. I mean... They, he put over, even though Ron Simmons didn't win, he got put over by being in such a great match because I remember at the time, because at the time I'm 23, so I'm subscribed to both the Torch and the Observer, and Meltzer and Wade Keller were like, ah, oh, this match is going to be horrible. Ron Simmons, should they should have kept the Doom tag team together. He's not a proven uh, a singles a worker, and Luger has to be carried. That's bullshit. Luger never, Luger has carried more people than people who've carried him. And Luger carried Ron Simmons with a staff infection to a great match. You and, remember that? You remember that match? Yeah. I, you know, I, I'm not mistaken. Weren't they both teammates in the USFL? And, uh, with That's the what they built. They built and, and they, they talked about that in the lead up. Of course, unfortunately, Dusty, who's the booker at the time, had Luger do the, the, yeah. Oh Yeah. Shine my shoes, boy, or, or you could be my driver or some bullshit, which I hate. You didn't need it because these two guys were over. Great match. And and, and, you, and you could play off the history of when they were teammates. Yup, yup, yup. You, you, you could do all that. And then finally, Luger left WCW to go to the WWF. He drops the match to Sting in what was his first subpar match on a pay-per-view since he was on pay-per-view. That's a great run. We talked from 1988 to 1991. That's a streak of like 11 or 12 straight shows where it was good to great matches. Yet people have shitted on Luga for years. I don't understand it. Well, in the Super Bowl match with Sting, isn't like WCW supposed to have like this serious drug policy? And like he's he's yeah, like he, he, he was on a Schwarzenegger big. Oh, God. Yes. He was, Luca was never, you know, and he got even bigger because a couple of months later when he debuted on the WWF, 
where he was supposed to be part of the WBF, and he took his shirt off. I was like, God damn, what the? Why is Luger in the? Why did Luger go straight to Hollywood and become an action hero? Look at how big this motherfucker! I know. Unbelievable, unbelievable, unbelievable. You know about his WWF run. We're not talking about that here. He comes back with this. Uh, he sets off the Monday Night War. It's Talk the, about that, Greg. It's he the sets best, it off. It's the best surprise ever. It's Sting's having a match for Flair for the U.S. title on the first Nitro. And as you know, they're at the Mall of America. Yep. And then, and then all of a sudden you see Lex Luger come out. And Eric Bischoff's like, wait, get him out of there. And Bobby is like, well, wait a minute. It's a public ball. This man has a right to be here. <laughs> and that sets off the Monday Night War. And we talked about his tag team with Sting. Oh, but we got to mention the double molestation that he was involved in at Halloween Havoc. The double molestation of Hulk Hogan. <laughs> oh, wait. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. Yes. Yes. When he turns heel. Oh, God. This is the most horror. As it, when the Yeti! The Yeti comes out and the Yeti, the Giants bear hugging Hogan. And the Yeti is like, oh, oh, I want to, I want to. <laughs> one's got it from the back and one's got it from the front. And then Luger puts him in the torture rack. <laughs> <laughs> he gives his own penetration. And the best part is, the best part is, as this happens, Tony Schiavone says, and this has been inverted on my skull for the last 26 and a half years. What in the hell is going on? And who is on whose side? <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, yup. This perfectly describes what's going on. Oh, as an 11 year old kid, I'm like, what the hell am I watching? That was great. But you know what? I popped. I popped for that shit. I, that was, was, I oh. was laughing my ass off. And then Luger was great. What uh, Greg referenced earlier about a heel with when he's not with Sting and a baby face when he's teaming with Sting. The whole mirror thing with the where he decided not to wrestle that match with Sting versus the Real Warriors, Booker T. Then finally, the turn he gets injured during the Bash of the Beach match early on, and the Sting going into the crowd. And then, in my opinion, one of the loudest pops in the history of Nitro was the night he made Hogan submit to the torture rack. Oh yeah, and ended the one year reign of Hogan. And man, that was phenomenal, man. All, uh, the the entire roster, the WCW came into the ring. They put Luger on their shoulder. It was great, but it only lasted six days. Yeah. As he would lose at Hogwild to Hogan. And for all intents and purposes, that was it for Luger. Uh, the rest of his run was eh. He was in the red and black because him and Sting are best friends in real life. He was just an afterthought. It looked like they were going to build to something when he put Goldberg in the torture rack when he turned on Goldberg. But they really didn't go anywhere with that. No. Then they teamed him up with Elizabeth, and that was mid. And then finally, when the promotion ended in 2001, Vince told him never to call me. <laughs> that was it. That was yeah. it. That was it. 
There is a documentary that the WWE produced on Luga that has yet to be released. Yeah, on the uh, WWE Icon series. Hopefully, Peacock will put that out soon. Because, dear Lord, I want to see it. So uh, Maybe A&E would put it out on their document since they signed a deal with WWE. Uh, that's already made. They could just put that out next year. When yeah, they... on the season two of that biography series. Yeah, yeah they, could, good. They, they could just put that out. Uh, I don't think there'll ever be a dark side because it wouldn't make sense for them to do a dark side if Luke well, is still alive. Well, he's still and Luke is us, not yeah. going to do it. And Luke is not going to do a dark side. No, on his life. Now Luke is not going because Luger has become like staying in the key to call off. He's a born again Christian. Luke is a very religious man. He rarely tweets, but when he tweets, it's always funny. He's making fun of himself. Oh it's, yeah, with the bread, the bread tweet from last week was hilarious. That was great. That was great. That was great. Uh. He, he, you could tell after all the years of being arrogant, because who used to, when Luger was a heel, that's that was Luger in real life. P- people said Luger was feeling himself. Luger thought he was better, smarter than anybody, everybody. Luger today is loving life, which is crazy. It had to take him to be damn near paraplegic for him to love life and man, love to see it. And I hope one day. That he's inducted into the WWE Hall of Fame because I would love to see him give a speech and talk about the sh- the shit that he's had to overcome. I mean, it was he had a stroke at that crazy San Francisco Cow Palace show. Oh yeah, that terrible show. Oh my god, yeah, that and whole show was crazy from what I heard. Now that could be a Dark Side of the Ring episode to itself. Oh, the crazy crap. Well, you know what? They made that uh, WCW North Korea show like the most entertaining thing of that whole season. Yeah. So they could do the same thing with that night because that the horror stories know that it has to be some type of criminal shit when Mike Leno is the hero of the night. <laughs> <laughs> the wrestling dentist. Anyway. We go to everybody's number one. This was never any doubt. No. Greg, take it away, baby. Woo! The Nature Boy! Ric Flair, the 16-time world heavyweight champion, style and profiling, and, uh, yeah, no contest. It was like, yeah, the only drama in this was who was going to be number two in this poll. That was it. Yep. 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 Everyone who was the number one man. I'm surprised that Arn Anderson finished third as high as he did. Yeah. I didn't expect that, but. I mean, I'm not complaining because I like stuff like that where it's different. But, man. I can't disagree if Arn is number three. But, yeah, I, I kind of. I went with Luger, Dusty Goldberg, Vader, and Steamboat for obvious reasons yep yep but i i can't disagree with number three but they got the number two right in staying i can't argue with that and of course they have the same number one as us and man if you're listening to this podcast you know what flair's done his entire career you know the impact he's had on the wrestling business do not take into account his personal life that's crumbling right now he's a sad old man and it's sad as fans of his to see what he's going through right now. Um, man, you know what? Happy Greg, he never outgrew wrestling. Yeah. He always wanted to be in that wrestling lifestyle. If he would sell his soul to be 35 years old again. Yeah, he would. 
and I hate, I hate to see it. And now because of what happened on the dark side of the ring, he can't even get a job with a major company. He can't even be an ambassador where he could or an agent or something. Because to me, uh, Greg, I think Flair just wants to be around the boys. Yeah. And uh, and um, AEW would have been the perfect spot for him because, you know, imagine the promos he could have cut and, you know, going up against Arn, pro manager versus manager. But you, you're not going to see that anytime soon. It's sad. It's sad. No. What what was happened? And I feel bad for the young woman. Well, she's not a young woman anymore. She was a young woman at the time that he allegedly did what he did on that airplane too. She shouldn't have been um no, subject to such behavior. No, that shouldn't have happened. Yeah, yeah. But and, I mean, man, yeah, right. it was a crazy time though. I mean, but that's not, still no excuse. Yeah. But just leaving it to his career, incredible career. The amount of great matches he's had. And when we talk at WCW, if you talk at 1981 to 2001, which is the window we always look at, he was the man. He was the champion for what? 90% of that time, the world champion. Look at the number of guys he had classic matches with. Steamboat, Funk, Sting, Nikita Koloff, Dusty Rhodes. Even Ronnie Garvin. Ronnie Garvin. He had some incredible Rick, matches. Ricky Morton. Ricky Morton. Wahoo McDaniel. He had great matches with Magnum TA, but none of them were televised. They were on the house show circuit. Who am I missing out? Uh, I mean, Vader. Uh, I think he had like a good uh, match on a on a Saturday night in like the 80s with George South. And Rocky King. He had yes. a nice match with Rocky King on a, on, a, on, a, on a TV tape at one time that I saw as a teenager. Uh, man, he had great matches with Brad Armstrong. The list is endless. Of the guys, and I'm just talking the Crockett area. I'm not talking when he was the traveling NWA world champion. He had great matches with everybody in the world. Hacksaw Butch Reed, Bob Armstrong, Ron Fuller, Robert Fuller, uh, Jerry Lawler, Coco Beware. He had a great match with Coco Beware at the Mid-South Coliseum back in November of 1985. Flair had great matches with got the Kerry Von. He once carried a drunken, stupid Kerry Von Eric, who tied his shoelaces together <laughs> to a 60-minute great match. It, it was either St. Louis or Hawaii. And after the match was over, Flegg took the title and threw it up against the wall and said, this is some bullshit. <laughs> he had a three-star match with El Gigante. And carried a 600-pound coke-induced junkyard dog to a decent match at that clash. <laughs> Oh God, yeah. I'm over under on how many times in Dave's report he said junk food dog. Oh uh, yeah, oh, the anabolic warrior, the junk oh, food God. dog. Thank yeah. God Dave doesn't do that anymore. <laughs> because dear God, I could just imagine some of the shit he'd write today. But uh, uh imagine oh, if just he... imagine Dave back then if he had Twitter. No, imagine what he could have said about a. a Jericho's wife. Yeah. <laughs> oh God, don't get me started about Jericho's wife. So, like, like I said, this is not that kind of podcast. No. So, any last words on on Ric Flair, big man? Well, when I think of Ric Flair, I'm gonna think of the phenomenal matches he had. I talked about the Starcade '93 match with Vader. The what was Steve your favorite Flair match? Not the greatest match that you saw, but your favorite flair match that you've seen over and over again and that you never get tired of seeing. 
the Shy Town Rumble '89 match with Steamboat. You know what? And mine is the match that I attended, the Clash of the Champions Superdome match with Steamboat. That's my favorite Flair match of all time. Um, you talk about that Flair Steamboat Shy Town Rumble. Jim Ross called that match like it was the heavyweight championship of the, like it was a boxing heavyweight championship yes. of the world. I mean, it was flo- and Magnum T.A. was. I don't know why Magnum didn't stay as the main color commentator. No, he, he was good. great. Yes, they I, called that match like it was a real wrestling match. And when Steve-O got the pin, the way Ross called it, and like I mentioned on the greatest matches of WCW history podcast, I was watching this in a TV dorm room, but no one paid for it. I was watching the scrambled version. The scramble, you couldn't see shit, but Jim Ross called it that I could imagine how great the match was going. I could imagine the moves. It was like I was listening to a classic radio broadcast of a wrestling match because he captured everything just by his announcement. Just tremendous. See, these kids, they won't know about scramble vision. They will have to know about how you'd have to, like, tune into a channel and watch a scrambled version of a pay-per-view and just have to rely on the audio. And Jim Ross hit the... Oh, they won't even know about listening to a baseball game on the radio. Man, no. Greg, how many nights... Even though you were born in 84, how many nights were you... Have you been at home listening to Howie Rose call a med game and he captures the entire... Uh, yeah. yeah, when I'm on the road and a game's a Mets game's on, I have to put on 880. I mean, right? Because yeah, I, I mean, no offense to Gary, I love watching the TV and watching Gary, but if I'm on the road, I have to listen to Howie. And so, Howie paints a perfect picture, just like Bob Murphy did before him. You cap, they cap. I I remember as a kid listening to the Holy Trinity, Lindsey Nelson. It was Lindsey Nelson, Bob Murphy, and Ralph Kiner. They would do, they would alternate between radio and television, right? And yeah. so I was born in 68. I started following baseball in the Mets in 1977. And most of the time, because there was only one TV in the house, my parents would be watching Quincy or some shit, right? So I'd listen well, to them. Well, hey, Jack Hogman, there's nothing wrong. That was a great show. Well, that was a great show. But I'm saying I'd rather watch the Met game, but that was a great show. So I would turn on the radio, and those guys would paint a vivid picture. I could imagine Shea Stadium or Candlestick Park, and I could imagine the guys on the field, and I could imagine them at bat. Whoever was back in 77, 78, John Milner, uh, Lenny Randall. <laughs> was Felix beyond there? Felix Mion, right before he got hurt, Felix Mion was on the team. And, of course, Lee Mazzilli, the star of the team, the star of the god-awful late 70s Mets, who hit a pitch hit home run off of, I believe, Ron Guidry in, in the All-Star game to win it one year for the, yeah. for, for, for the National League. For the National that, League at the Kingdom. Yeah, That's the King. same the same <laughs> All-Star game where Dave Parker makes that phenomenal two, throw. Two throws. Two throws. Dave Parker threw out a guy at third and a guy at the plate. Yeah, and Gary Carter makes that phenomenal tag. The he was the, he was the he was the MVP of that uh, of that All Star game. Uh, you, I would listen to the games, and even today, like Greg said, if I have to listen to the Met game on the radio, eight eighty CBS AM, WCBS AM, uh, all new station, Howie Rose 
paints a perfect picture of the game. Howie belongs in the Baseball Hall of Fame as an announcer. He be- and they need to put him in before he dies. Gary Cohen belongs in the Baseball Hall of Fame. So, yeah, Gary definitely does. Ron Darling belongs in the Baseball Hall of Fame. Um, I believe Bob Murphy's already in. Bob's and- in. Ralph Kahn is in as a player, so you don't have to put him in as a player. No. That'd be overkill. It, Lindsay's long since in, right? Yeah, so we need Gary Cohen and Ron Darling and Howie Rose to be in the whole. And I need to see the three of them do a game one time together. That'd one be kind of cool. One of the times when Keith takes one of those uh vacations. <laughs> those vacations to Florida for reasons. And by reasons, I mean tax purposes. <laughs> So I need to see Howie in the booth with those two guys. I've never heard Howie and Gary and Ron together. I know Howie and Gary might have done games back in the day they when did. Gary was on the radio. Yeah, because I know Harley, Howie and Gary were together at for WFAN in the period after Bob Murphy retired and before right. SNY. Right, right, before SNY. So I need the three of them to do a game together. Because I already know Howie and Gary are great together. I want to see Ron bounce off of them because to me in my opinion Ron Darling next to Tony Kubek is the greatest color commentator I've ever seen to a baseball game the man knows the fucking sport calls it down the line oh. and what I love about Ron Darling is that he's not a homer when the Mets fuck up he oh he's gonna like, he's yeah. gonna admit it and Keith too if Keith sees something bad he's gonna be like oh that, that sucked so to take it back home your favorite match Jim Ross announced that match. That match alone should be in the Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Sports Broadcasters Hall of Fame. Because he called it perfectly. And that's right up there with him going, oh my God, he's broken in half. Or I think he might have killed him. With, well, it's, with the- fu- <laughs> it's funny you mentioned that. Because I've watched Take of the Ring 98 on a scramble match. And what I've... When oh I've my that, God! Brady, tell us about it. Yeah. I I literally thought, did The Undertaker kill Mick Foley on pay-per-view? Just the way he said it, oh, my God, he's broken in half. I'm like, what? What the? What? I can't even. Like, what? And, like, he's getting up and going back. What? What in the world? That is the genius of Jim Ross, a greatest Wrestling announcer of all time. And I put Jim Ross on the pantheon of great announcers like a John Madden, like a Pat Summerall, like what's my man that Vince Scully on that level. He's on that level because those guys paint a picture. Vince Scully to the day he left painted a perfect picture. Loved it. Only difference is most of those guys are from New York and Jim Ross is from Oklahoma. <laughs> I don't know too many uh, great broadcasters from Oklahoma. Jim Ross. It starts at, where was Keith Jackson from? Keith Jackson? Oh, I got to look that up. Let me uh, do a Wikipedia Because I here. always compared Jim Ross to Keith Jackson. I always said Jim Ross was the Keith Jackson of pro wrestling. The way, and you know, with the, <laughs> it's a football! <laughs> oh, Nelly! Uh, Keith Jackson, uh, born in uh, Ropeville, Georgia. All right. I should have known George. He's got that old Southern style. The Notre Dame. Who was it? What was his face? The, the Alabama Crimson Tide. No one he's <laughs> uh, Yes. So, um, 
I got nothing more to say, big man. Do do what you got to do. No, that's it. So, yeah, that's it for the WCWS. And uh, next year, it's going to be the redo of the uh, WWE list. So uh, it's been five years since the last time uh, they did the WWE list. And I don't know if I'm going to change anything in the top ten. I I, 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 uh, I'm trying to think right now. Depends on what Roman does. Roman might crack. Roman could. Roman. Roman is the only guy that could make my top ten, and he's on a fucking run right now. If he had, if he has, he continues to do what he's doing. He's cracking my top ten. He could. I see. Like they could keep the belt on him for another year. They could just make it like. Because Roman, I mean, you know what they said with uh, Samson, when they cut his hair, he lost his power. When they cut Roman Reigns' hair, he gained the power, all right? Because he's got the look. He's got the mannerisms. He's got the promo. And he works his ass off of the ring. He is. We talked about Luger. Roman Reigns is the total package. And I think he might be a number 10. Right now, if he continues to do what he's doing, He's going to be at least my number ten next year, but I um I got to see who he's bumping, but he's bumping somebody. He's going <laughs> to bump somebody. I will say when I do the redo of the list, because you know things have changed so much in the last five years. Like I could say, because it was so early in their runs, I didn't have like I didn't have Sasha, I didn't have Charlotte, I didn't have Becky, and or. Uh, in the top 100. Look, now they're definitely going to be in the top 100 for me. Bianca's going to be in my top 100 also. Bi- Those three Bian- plus Bianca. Bianca. Those four will definitely... Bianca, Sasha... Alexa Bianca, plus. Sasha, Becky... Uh, I mean, I-, I wish I could put Rhea Ripley in my top 100, but they butcher her fucking so much. Yeah, I, I, I know. It's just... Uh, it's criminal what they do to she's her. She's fucking money, man. I don't understand that. She's got the look. She's got everything! Oh, my God, they should be pushing her to the moon. Anyway, Sasha, Becky, Charlotte, Bianca will definitely be in my top 100. I got to agree with you on that. And they weren't in because five years ago, like you said, it was early on. But now, because for a while, the the women were carrying the WWE before the ascent of Roman Reigns and now with the the return. And um, Cody's going to crack my top 100, and it's not going to be lower level. It's going to be further up. So yeah, yeah. I've it's I, I don't even remember anything from eleven to one hundred. So it's like if I'm inconsistent, who uh, look, cares? look, look, look. I only got written down my top ten. Whenever I did eleven to one hundred, it's no longer in my memory bank. So it's gonna... it's like all I care about is who's on top, and that's right. it. Right. It's like right. everything else is just a guessing game to me. But I can tell you safely. The Red Rooster is not going to be in my top 100. Uh, there's going to be a couple of dudes that I can't stand that I'm going to put out my that I'm not going to rank just to spite their asses. And by the way, I'm not having Benoit in my top 100 no, just like I didn't have no, him in my WCW no, top 100. Can't have no, Can't no, have no. Sorry. Or, uh, same with Snooker. It's like oh, I can't do it. I, I cannot can't. put I cannot put women abusers and murderers in my top 100. And Snooker was the first wrestler I idolized. He's, he can't be in my top 100. No. no. Hate to say it. And Benoit, one of the greatest that ever did it. Not, sorry. You ain't coming in. No. 
Well, uh, I'm trying to think. I'm trying to think of what it could change between now and next year. Um, was well, Brock in your top ten last time? No, he was not in my top ten. I mean, he could, he could make a case for the top ten next. He's, time. I'm going to have him in my top fifteen. I'm, I'm not going to put him over Roman though. He might be my number eleven. Uh, I don't think we're going to see much of Brock after. Uh, after no, after I think, I think he's, good. he's done for a while. All right, so he'll, he'll be my number eleven or twelve. Uh, so he'll be in my top 15. Uh, I don't see anybody else right now. I don't like Seth Rollins, even though he's a tremendous worker. That character is just annoying. As no, a the, the Seth character he has now. Is, no. A- AJ has taken a step back. That was a possibility of being a top 10 at one point. But uh, the way they push it, him now, nah. And I'm not feeling edge. Nah. Well, uh, it, well, last time when we did it, it was like AJ was like a year and I had him like at 50 or something. He'll yeah. be in like the 30s for me. Uh, yeah, the, he'll be somewhere between 25 and 35 for me, but he won't be top. He 20. won't be top 10, even though he he has top 10 ability. But the, the way they pushed him is just I don't, I, don't, I don't know. Don't know. I don't know. They butchered a lot of talent there. We, we will see. But definitely Roman. Is going to get my number ten. I mean, I I can't see it. I can't. Whatever they do it. By the way, Greg, before we leave, yeah, who's booking Roman's uh, angles? Because that's the one thing they do right over and over again. I hmm. Is that I, Vince has on or is Paul Heyman doing it? Who? I I gotta think it's. I gotta think maybe it's maybe it's Paul. I don't know. I because his shit has been flawless. I gotta think Paul has to have some input in what's going on. I don't know, but I'll say this about Roman: everyone like it's the same with Fluger. Everyone shat on him for years and years and years, and now all of a sudden it's like people have come to this. Re- I think when he turned heel, everyone came to this realization: oh, he's great. And when he eventually turns face, he's going to be one of the biggest baby faces in the history. Oh, it's, it's going to be like Brock. You know, <laughs> talk about Roman and Brock. It's going to be it's like Brock all over again. <laughs> and it would not surprise me if like Roman like became like a mainstream star. He's got movie star looks and a build. I mean, I'm, he's already been in what, one Marvel movie? It, no, he was in um, the, the Fast Hobbs and Shaw movie with uh, okay. Rock. All right. He's going to be a, a movie star. He's got the look. Um, those who are looking for somebody to play the Submariner. That's oh, the Namor? Oh, my God. That's the man to play Submariner. Uh, I'm putting out there in the universe. Uh, we need Roman Reigns to play the Submariner. <laughs> Do I name more the the Prince of the Sea. <laughs> All right, Greg. Well, it's been a blast. We'll be back again next year to do our revised, if any, top 10 WWE Greatest of all time. Or, or like what I like to say it, the top 10 WWF slash WWF slash WWE greatest wrestlers of all time. We might just do it about 11 and 20. Who knows? Yeah, we might be. Might be because we're talking now. Next year will be the 60th anniversary of the WWF slash WWF slash WWE. Remember, yeah. 1963. Next year's 2023. Jeez, yeah. It'll be 60 years. I wonder if they'll do anything big for the 60th anniversary. 
Probably. Um, I, don't I don't think I don't think they, they don't recognize anything before me. Oh no, wait a minute. For the fifty, they did. They did recognize. They did a the book. 50. They did. A, did they, they do did a, a book? Yeah. They did a Blu-ray too. Yeah. Okay. So yeah. All right. So there's a possibility. So maybe something on the Peacock, like a sixty of. Oh, maybe even on an A and E documentary, a documentary of the sixty years of the world wrestling entertainment. Yeah. Would be great. But until then. We'll see you next year for another top 10 of when we do the list again. And we'll see you next time right here on the Place to Be Nation. Thanks for listening, everyone, and good night. Ah. Why?